0: listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side
1: of the cockpit door.
2: W A P G, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode four hundred and seven. Yeah, up in the sky, it's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host Captain Jet broadcasting live from Studio 1A at ABG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show was recorded on the 29th of April, 2021. episode, Atlanta's Hartfield Jackson Airport loses its 22-year title as the world's busiest. A flight attendant reveals a trade secret. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, the S to Z of aviation. So get all settled in. Trade tables and seatbacks in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger. Flight 470 is ready for pushback.
3: Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. Ten Ten wins in New York City! Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and trying to answer your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, the pilot of the Major Legacy Airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today from across the pond in Hampshire... He is a professional photographer, former RAF RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A three thirty three forty captain for Virgin Atlantic Airlines. It's Captain Nick.
4: Well, hi, Jeff. I'm not used to being first to be introduced. I'm
3: guessing the kids are out playing, are they? They are. You're number one. Yay! <laughs>
4: Wait. Hey, We're Come gonna have here a great. Time. At last.
3: <laughs> okay, let's. Start right into the news. Stand by for news. All right. First item. After more than two decades. Oh, by the way, this is sent in by Lieutenant Lieutenant Colonel Jeff. You know the other Captain Jeff, the good-looking one. Um, there's a new world that good-looking. <laughs> well, you know, got to try to build him up as much as we can. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a, a new world's busiest airport, and then he he writes and says, "Sorry, Jeff, you're no longer number one." So <laughs> sad. <laughs> <inaudible> <mumbles> <inaudible> <inaudible> well, you know, Jeff, you're number one in my book. I'm sorry that I'm not your number one anymore. Oh, he's talking about the airport, I guess. And really, honestly, I don't care. <laughs> but let's continue with this nice news article. After more than two decades, there's a new world's busiest airport. And it is one in China, the uh, Guangzhou? Um, Guangzhou. 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 Okay.
4: I would have say Guangzhou. Guangzhou. But, uh... Okay. That's one of those. I I, I'm not. I haven't been told. But that's what I used to to (laughs) think.
3: Yeah, I think we're all deferring to. uh, uh, Liz had a different um, pronunciation than mine, and then yours was different from both of ours. And we're going to have to. Tylene. Tallene? It's Tylene. Apparently. Wait. No, that was another show. (laughs) Liz, you're getting confused. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we never, you know, 50% of the time we get the pronunciation right. And I think that we're going to have to defer to Nick on this one. Guang Guangzhou. Guangzhou. Is that what you said, Nick? Uh, Guangzhou. Guangzhou. Yes. There we go. Uh, was the world's busiest airport back in 2020, the the year of COVID, according to preliminary figures from Airports Council International. Uh, let's see. Seven of the world's top 10 busiest airports in 2020 were in China. Wow. Seven of the 10. While the former world's busiest airport, Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport in the United States fell to number two in the rankings after 22 consecutive years at the top spot. But the uh, Guangzhou-Bagong International Airport in China was the world's busiest airport in 2020, rising to the number one spot from its number 11 ranking in 2019. But that's okay. They say once this whole thing gets going again, um, it won't be long before Atlanta will take the top spot again. But um, Yeah. So, thank you for uh, just trying to rub that in, Jeff. But it didn't affect me at all. So,
4: <laughs> yeah, it must have been rather nice to uh, have been working when it's not quite so busy.
3: Yeah, it is. I, I'm kind of glad it wasn't uh, the number one, the world's busiest airport. It was kind of nice, actually. Yeah. Yes, Liz, for a change. You were saying Once something. Once this
5: blows over, mm-hmm. I'm getting you to the next item. Once this blows over, that Atlanta will be number one.
3: Oh, okay. She's helping me with a great segue. Uh, Yes, once this blows over—oh, speaking of blowing over and Atlanta (laughs) International, (laughs) this is the second news item we have. Chaos at Atlanta due to extreme winds. The tower was evacuated, and we have audio. This was uh, taken from uh, VAS Aviation, a wonderful YouTube channel, and, of course, I'm sure that the audio was extracted from LiveATC.net. And I have uh, downloaded that audio, and we're going to listen to some of it. It's kind of um, entertaining. Uh, let's see. Let me read a little bit of this first, though. Uh, no, that's just something else. That's not related to this audio. So let me just tr- start right when off the this bat. Happen, Jeff? This happened. Happen? Thank you, Liz. This happened on Saturday evening, the 24th of April, at around 830 to 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And I was home here. In Roswell, Georgia, which is on the north side of Atlanta, northern suburb of Atlanta. And yeah, it was kind of nasty up here, but not as bad as it was south of uh, the downtown area at the Atlanta International Airport. They got hit pretty hard by very uh, strong thunderstorms, winds, hail, and uh, all that fun stuff. No tornadoes this time, though, uh, as a, a previous storm had in it. But uh, so let me start off with this. This is the uh, now the Atlanta Tower is the um, this is the new tower that was uh, commissioned in 2006. I can't believe it's already been that many years since the new tower was put up. But it is the tallest tower in North America control tower at. Let's see, 300 and almost 400 feet tall, 398 feet or 121.31 meters.
4: Yeah, you'd have thought they'd have stuck something two feet tall on I the know. top just to make it 400 feet. I mean, I, I would climb up case. there and do it. Yeah, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Stick a flag up there. You retire, You're not then, two you feet retire. tall, are yeah. you?
3: <laughs> What's that? You're not two feet tall, are you? No, I'm, I'm taller than that, but I'm not going to stand all oh, there, okay. up there all the time. I think that's probably a condition <laughs> for measuring the height of a tower. Um, and I have better things to do in retirement than just stand up <laughs> on top of the tower. <laughs> now, some people would argue with that, but I, in my opinion, I have better things to do. Anyway, it was commissioned in two thousand six and uh it is number three in the world, uh, and number one in the uh in North America. It was uh, funded by the city of Atlanta by a tune of almost forty million, and then another almost five million US dollars was provided by the Federal Aviation Administration. So kind of a pricey tower. Oh, uh I think I may have put the um uh, the Atlanta Tower in the overlays, uh Liz, I'm if you going there. Okay, I'm going if there. you'll pop that up there and they can they can look at that beautiful tower yeah, yeah. that we have in Atlanta. And this is from jetphotos.net. And you know how I know that? Cuz I can see the watermark right there. Um so thank you jetphotos.net for allowing us to Put that on. It's a Little smoggy there. All right. Yeah. Well, you can see. Yeah, a little bit of a uh, haze. You can see the uh, uh, city of Atlanta's uh, skyscape, skyline. skyscrapers, skyline. High, skyline. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Liz. And then, if you use your imagination and you think about what is beyond that skyline, you would kind of see Roswell, Alpharetta, kind of up in my neck the of the APG woods. Apg Tower would be. The Apg there? Tower can you see is my there? old it, hotel. Um, your old hotel is what? What was the peach oh, the, tree? Uh, yes. The uh, round one. It is. Uh, can you see my cursor on the on the screen? No, you can't. Uh, no. Um, it is the basically in the middle of all those buildings. It's uh, the cylindrical, not the tallest one. It used to be the tallest one, but uh, there are some that are taller now. But it's a, a very tall, little cylinder, or not little, a very large, tall right. cylinder, yeah. Next kind of the in point the middle. One. Next to the pointy ones, yeah. actually in between. Yeah. There so, you go. Yeah, well, We've held a couple of shows from that. We have. That, in about one, of, yeah. one of my favorite ones. In the old days? <laughs> we couldn't <laughs> yes. figure out what that noise was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was memorable. It Very was. memorable. It was fun. Anyway, and uh, and in that case, it was just that, well, just the two of us in, in your hotel studio. I think we had some other hosts with us as well. Was that were, the
1: time that, it was, that you couldn't find the, two, elsewhere. the thing? The yes,
3: that was the, the, the uh, yes, yes, Liz, it was the time that uh, we kept hearing this, this beeping noise. <laughs> we couldn't figure out what the heck it was. And then we finally figured out it was the, the telephone. And because we had disconnected it to move it out of the way because we were rearranging the furniture, Uh, It was basically saying, I'm not getting electricity to charge my battery, so I'm going to beep to let you know. (laughs) But, yeah, it took us a while for us to figure that out. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. So there's a picture of the Atlanta International Tower. And now we're going to listen to, which is the whole point of this news item, listen to the audio. And um, I was going to say that they have a – they've divided it into – we have a north complex, a couple of runways on the north side. And then we have a south complex or actually now it's a center center complex. Um, But the so basically three runways that compose the uh, the south complex or the south tower. They're all in the same tower cab, by the way. And I've been there. I've had a tour of it. It's huge. Um, But uh, the north tower is first. They're controlling the two six left and two six right. And here we go. This is eight thirty nine o'clock. It's probably starting to get dark. And with these storms coming through, it was probably pretty dark.
6: We're going to sit here until this goes by. We can't see anything in front of us. It's a lot scarier up here. Oh, I believe it. But uh, yeah, I just, we just don't want to start taxiing because we can't see anything. Okay, that's fine. I understand. For 877, if you'd like to stop, that's fine also because there's a guy in front of you there at uh, ramp 5. So if you'd like to stop your taxi because I'm sure they're not going to park you anyways, you can do so. they will stop here We'll stay out of the way. Thank you. I think I need a thunder buddy. The tower swaying. Yeah, a lot. Hey, Tug 7 and Tug 10, if you could just hold there, that's fine also. Just let me know whatever you need. Yeah, it's getting pretty bad out here. Yeah, so you could hold there or continue to the ramp, whatever you'd like. Yeah, we're just going to stay right here. Okay, hey, Tug 10, you can hold your position there. The other Tug is currently stopped in front of you. All right, uh, uh, if that tug can tell me exactly where they are, cause I can't see them. I can't see anything either. My eyes, just went out, but where you are is perfectly fine. The last I saw him, he was short of Alpha Three, there, the entry to uh, Delta North. All right, uh, I'm just gonna start where I am. I can see nothing. Okay.
3: <laughs> Those, by the way, tug is the, um, the 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 devices that uh, kind of lift up the nose wheel. Um, gear assembly on the airplanes and tow them around and, and uh, put them in in different spots or take them over to the hangar or, you know, whatever. So we have a couple of those tugs out there kind of moving airplanes around, and he said, I can see nothing.
6: Yeah, that's fine. Just hold your position there, please. We all need t- uh, center bodies right now. Better, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't hear you, but they're going to evacuate the tower. Alright guys, we're going uh, ATC-0, so we're going to evacuate the tower.
3: He says we're going ATC-0.
6: Copy. Be safe, guys.
0: What's your wind
3: speed? Uh Winds
6: are 230-29 gusting at
7: 42. It's rocking pretty good up here.
8: Hey, guys, uh, everybody, the tower is evacuating. We're going ATC-0. All aircraft
0: with tower is evacuating. Be safe up there, guys. Aircraft uh, holding short of 2-6 left on the uh, taxiway echo out here. Did anybody else have anything hit their aircraft just a few minutes ago?
1: Uh, sounded a little bit
0: like small hail, but that was uh, just for us. On, uh, we're holding short 2-6 left here. Okay, so I'm, I'm actually uh, Airbus 321 right at Echo 13. I don't know if the aircraft behind me can see anything on me. If you want to put your lights on for me, uh, we felt like we had a bag cart or something smack into us really hard just a second ago, so I, I don't know what it was. Uh, but I'm not going to be moving at all until I get that confirmed. Delta so
8: 2604, um, here's a 321 just shy of the Echo 13 sign. I just turned my lighting lights on Yes, uh, I, I didn't notice anything, although I couldn't see too well. But uh, he looks fine to me. Alright, hey, everybody on everybody on the ground, I want everybody to stand by, line tower, I need everybody stand by and uh, radio silence for just a second, please.
0: not really sure what that was, but uh, we're going to have, have to have somebody come look at us before we even move.
8: Everybody stand by, the tower, we're back in service, everybody stand by, please just maintain radio silence. Is there an emergency? Does anybody have an emergency? Is there anybody on the ground? Uh, for two six left on the ground, Echo Fox Foxtrot on Taxiway Bravo that has an emergency, any emergency aircraft. No. Alright guys, Let give us about five or ten minutes to get this thing back up and running. Everybody just hang in there. Power
0: Delta, 2166. During that uh, extreme wind section, right after you evacuated, something hit our aircraft on the underneath side. I'm not sure what it was, but it uh, sounded metal in, in nature. We're going to be unable to taxi.
8: Okay, 2166. Uh, all right. <clears throat> Let's see here. Uh, are you declaring an emergency, or is just a, just information? Information only, but we will be unable to taxi until we get an inspection.
3: I think this guy really wants uh, somebody to declare an emergency.
1: <laughs> yeah.
8: Okay. All yeah. Right. Uh, He's kind of anchor the moment. You are on taxiway Echo. Correct, and you're about number one, two, three. You're number four there on Echo.
0: Uh, concur, 2166, just uh, beam 13, echo 13.
8: Okay, Delta, 2166, um, can you, since you're number four, can you pull out a line into the run-up pad? Are you able to do that at least, or would you like somebody to come inspect the aircraft before you do so?
0: Uh, given the fact that I don't know if something is, is stuck at the wheel or underneath the aircraft at this time, I am not moving the aircraft. That's
8: smart, I think. Okay, Delta, 2166, copy all. Um, all right, so. Right now we're working with no ground radar. We do have radar as far as everything else is concerned. So uh, if you're on the ground, guys, um, if emergency exists, just let me know and just radio science. 2166, we got you covered. We're working it right now.
0: Twenty-one
4: sixty-six. Okay. No ground radar, but sky radar is fine.
3: Yeah, Yeah, but nobody's in the sky right now, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess we can take the overlay off for a bit. Thanks. and uh, so that was what was happening on the North Tower and uh, kind of nasty weather and things hitting airplanes, perhaps. And um, now let's see what was happening on the other side of the tower cab on the, uh, so, the what we call the South Tower, the other part of the airport. The
0: tower to We're just going to stop in our present location and we can't uh, see anything. So somebody take the time, nobody's going to find behind you. You're
8: good. All right. We'll All
3: right. I think they just landed
8: Go so to 780, how was that line on final?
3: Yeah, the captain just said it's the worst he's ever had.
8: Yeah, I've never felt the power spray like this before, ever.
0: Uh, off to
8: 1192.
0: So
9: 1192? Yeah, we're getting our moderate turbulence on
8: Sierra Juliet. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that up here in the tower. Now the winds are 250 at 37, dusting to 42. So 799, yeah, all of you guys taxiing, can anybody can stop that's moving if, you, if it's better for you.
3: All right. That was funny. I thought, um, clever comment about getting moderate turbulence, and he's on the ground on the taxiway. <laughs> yes. kind of a
4: ride report,
3: please? <laughs> exactly. And, uh, okay, so meanwhile, back in the North Tower.
6: All right, guys, your friendly voice is back. I'm not scared anymore. Right. <laughs> <Hooray. laughs> All right, for 2211, uh, we, are, we can see now. Did you still want us to taxi up and follow some RJ somewhere? <laughs> um... Let me figure out what they want to do, and uh, <laughs> we'll figure that out in a second, because no one's going to leave here for a bit anyways. Okay, and just a heads up for you, we've got about 23 minutes before we uh, our pumpkins as well. Okay, good. Well, in that case, I won't put you behind the RJ that way. If this weather clears fast enough, I can just sneak you out, uh, maybe even down the runway if I have to.
3: Okay, and um, when he says we're turning into pumpkins, that means that they're about to time out in their duty day, and they are, no, they are not allowed to take off according to the FAR Part 117 rules.
6: All right. They're ground up 1597. Uh, 1597, go ahead. Yep. We are pumpkins at this point, so I don't know. I know it'll take some
0: time to move some stuff around, but we can work, start working back to the ramp. if We'll need to do that.
6: Oh, man. It looks like the weather was just passing over, too. All right. um, right. I'm... I'm going to have to get this uh, RG in front of you here cranked up and then uh, we'll be able to get you back to the ramp. Yep, I understand. Take a couple minutes. Ground Delta
0: 2074. We've got uh, 29 minutes before we're timed out.
6: 2074, let's see. Uh, You're stuck in that line there. Okay. I'm going to be hopeful that this weather, looking on the scope, it looks like it's passing over the airport now. So hopefully it'll clear by then because I don't see anything behind it. And uh, if we have to, I should be able to talk to local and get you uh, moved up in the line, even if i got to get you out there at uh, Echo uh, 15, I believe that is.
0: All right, yeah, we'll just let you know so we can make a plan.
6: All right, you got it. All right, I don't have my ASD, but I think if I did this right, Endeavor 54, 55, you're number one there, Echo, short of Charlie, right?
9: Hey, Affair.
3: The ASD is the, um, I'm not sure exactly what it stands for, but it's the ground radar that they can see airplanes on their scope.
6: Uh, can you start one for me? I need to get the guy behind you back to the gate. We're running. Okay, you got it. Delta 1597, uh, you can crank them up. Let me know when your uh, gate's open and available, and I'll get you down there. All right, 1597. We got seven
0: minutes if you think there's a prayer, but uh, we have one started right now.
6: Okay, Um it does look like it might clear, you said 7 minutes? 7 minutes, well, 6 minutes. Okay, hold short of Charlie and let me see what the uh, check ons plan if they're going to let anybody out of here in that time, okay?
8: Southwest 3020, you on this frequency? Yes sir, uh, 3020 we're up. Okay, excellent, alright, uh, will you be ready, we're getting ready to start uh, departing again, will you be ready to go?
6: Well, we got to start both of them, but uh, maybe 5 minutes or so.
8: Okay, alright, If you could, if you are northbound departure, all my northbound departures. Go ahead and get started and be ready to go. We're working it on our end as far as what we're going to do with our NASA heading. You've got a 1597. Delta 1597. Yes, sir. I want to let you know the OPS vehicle on the runway is going to give way to you. You just do what you need to do and back taxi 26 left, line up and wait. They're going to do a quick runway inspection. Delta
6: 1597, copies, we are cleared to uh, line up and wait, and they're going to give way to us.
3: Okay, and just to let you know, 1597 actually was launched. And took off before they turned into pumpkins. So that was a great job by Atlanta Tower there on the and the North Tower. And then finally, just a little bit of a, a snippet here at the end from the South Tower.
8: At now South on Atlanta Tower, we are back in the building. We did have to evacuate due to the extreme wind, so we have receiving on this end. We're back up here now. We're still waiting for some of our equipment and all that to come back up. Uh, I'll try to keep you guys advised of of anything as I get it. Obviously, we're not departing just yet. We're still going to get in the group here. I'll keep you advised as soon as I can hear something. Towered up
0: 1516. Uh, we're still short of Sierra, oh, I'm sorry, Romeo 3, but uh, ramps that our gate will be open at about 15 minutes.
8: Delta Roger. Oh my gosh, there's a whole bunch of guys out there. Oh,
7: oh man, okay.
8: Okay, guys. I, like I said earlier, I completely lost my ground radar and, uh, I don't think I realized quite how many of you were out there that have landed. Um,
3: okay. <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> where did you come from? <laughs> where, well, I didn't realize there were so many airplanes out there, which is kind of a little, uh, disconcerting when. They're the people controlling everything up there, but uh, I guess... Well, I guess
4: uh, they couldn't uh, see anything. (laughs) Did it happen when she got evacuated or what? I don't know.
3: Uh, Yeah, they they evacuated, and then when they came back, I guess they still didn't have the ground radar, so they couldn't really tell how many airplanes were on the ground, but apparently a lot.
4: came as a surprise. Yeah. Uh, So uh, my big question is, Mm -hmm. um, 42 knots doesn't seem a lot. Um, How come they were having so many problems up there, Jeff? What do you reckon?
3: I... uh, Well, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm assuming that that uh, wind velocity and direction was from some sensors that are on the ground, on the surface level, and not up at uh, 400 feet up in the tower. I would imagine that the winds were probably a lot stronger up there, but that's just a guess. I don't know. Uh, They may have some uh, wind measuring equipment up there as well. Uh, But I, like you, think that 42 knots doesn't really sound that bad for a a structure that is, I'm sure, built to withstand much, much higher winds than that. So, I don't know.
4: I, I guess if the airport's closed and it's really uncomfortable, there's nothing wrong with coming down. Mm-hmm. Although, I must admit, I, I, I'd be tempted to stay away from lifts. If the if the building's mm-hmm.
3: swaying a lot, I'm not too sure yeah. how safe the lifts are. I would agree. In fact, I, maybe those things even just automatically shut off at a certain point they do have stairs <laughs> it's, yeah. but you're going to yeah. be spending a long time in those stairwells going all yeah. the way
4: down and you don't want to lose your footing because the uh, building swing
3: mm-hmm.
4: now I, I just get get one of those coffee mugs with a gimbal on it mm-hmm. so uh, you can you know it doesn't spill coffee everywhere and, that's the important uh, thing <laughs> yeah bob's your uncle
3: <laughs> right well that's a great idea uh, by the way, we'll uh, offer Gimbal coffee cups with the APG logo on them uh, soon, just to <laughs> stand by for that. That would be kind of neat, though, wouldn't it? I wonder if they that actually make those things. That would be very neat, things. yeah. Anyway, um, so, oh, what do we, oh. That's the APG logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just to remind logo? you. I oh, I see. That's the logo that's going to be on the coffee cup. I see what you're doing okay. there, Liz. I thought it was a mistake, but Whew. you were actually being very clever. Clever. I was trying. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yes, you are trying, Liz.
9: Yes, very. <laughs>
3: Just kidding. Okay. Uh, so anyway, looked like it was uh, one of those evenings that I was very, very happy that I wasn't at the airport um, experiencing that nasty weather. But anyway, I thought it was amusing. And uh, so we hope that you did too. All right. Speaking of amusing, there were some people that weren't very amused in a uh, an incident uh, from an uh, rel- Let's see, a an Osprey. I forgot what the V twenty two. That's it. The V twenty two Osprey. What that kind of hybrid airplane helicopter kind of machine uh, was taking off from a helipad in. Um, Where was this, Nick? It wasn't over somewhere over near.
4: I don't know. I was going to tell you it was a Boeing
3: Bell CV 22B Osprey. Oh. But uh, I can't
4: tell you where it was.
3: All right. Well, let's see. It's, It's
9: Addenbrook Hospital.
3: Addenbrook Hospital. And I'm assuming that's in the UK, but I don't know. Is Addenbrook something over there? In the uh, UK? Uh, not
4: one that I've heard of. Oh, okay. Well, Doesn't uh, mean it's not here. I
3: don't know where it was. But maybe this uh, little video clip will uh, give us a clue. I don't know if it will or not. I'm just hoping that it will. So let me push this button it's here. In
9: Cambridge. Oh.
3: So here is a very loud Osprey. Probably can't even hear me talking. I'm going to turn down the volume a little bit. There we go. And... It is making an approach to this landing pad. Oh, sucker's are loud. Pretty amazing machine. Not sure I'd ever want to get into one of <laughs> Okay, they're landing on the, on the pad. Uh, no problems as of yet. And I thought, here, let me see if I can fast forward this to the point where they start leaving the pad. Okay, they've turned off the rotors, and now, let's see. It looks like they're restarting the engines. They're bringing the aft cargo ramp up. Okay, now we're going to take off. Nothing could go wrong here. Here we go.
4: We're going to take off, and so is everything else.
3: Yes. <laughs> Don't give it away. Okay, come on, Osprey. Go. 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 Uh-oh.
4: Tony says it's in Cambridge.
3: In Cambridge. Okay. Oh, Oh. what's that? Something just rolled up there. Some kind of a mat on the ground. Ne- neatly rolled up. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. The rest of the mats didn't roll up neatly and nicely. They just kind of went flying. So, yeah. That was kind of a mess. Okay, that's enough. Oh, that noise is about to kill me. Can you imagine actually having to fly one of those things?
4: Yeah, can you imagine what it's like inside? Boy, oh boy.
3: Yeah. Anyway, that was from uh, Scotty Bateman. uh, His Twitter uh, account, uh, twitter.com slash Scotty. We'll have that in the... uh, in the show notes. But uh, I think they were doing some kind of a practice exercise at this, uh, what do we call it? Adenbrook Hospital? Hospital? Yeah, in Cambridge. Yeah, I
4: guess it's one of the designated helicopter landing spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I think most of the helicopters that go in there are relatively light and mm-hmm. small, so they probably haven't had something that big in there before. <laughs> it almost looked
3: like they weren't even actually on those mats. They were like on the grass next to where those mats were placed, I think.
4: Yeah, exactly. But mind, mind you, it might have been a good idea. Oh, well, I mean, it might have been good for them because if those mats are flicked up into a rotor, no, true. Uh, that could have been a nasty um, a nasty situation for them. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty big piece of kit. It uh, generates an awful lot of downdraft, an uh, Osprey. So uh, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me, perhaps, that uh, something is. Fairly lightweight is going to get uh, ripped up, but yeah, you know that's. I, I'm sure it's not hard to put back down again. I mean, it doesn't like it weighs very much.
3: Mm-hmm. Does it? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, that was sent to us by Jeffrey Niemeyer. So thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, absolutely,
4: yeah. Didn't uh, Armando used to drive those?
3: I think that he did have some. He has some flight hours logged. Uh, On that airplane, I believe. Yeah, Yeah. I think that was one of the last things he flew in when he was uh, before he left, uh, retired from the U.S. Air Force. Yeah, interesting. Just wondering
4: if that was him, but obviously a bit late. Yeah,
3: I'm probably not. That was probably (laughs) after he left. But yeah, if he were still in and active, I would definitely think that he had something to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. No, just knowing Armando. (sighs) All right. Um, continuing on, we have an incident that accord, occurred accord, occurred in uh, the airspace over Iran. A Caspian Airlines McDonnell Douglas MD-83 registration, Echo Papa Charlie Alpha Sierra, performing a flight from Tehran to Kish, Iran, was en route at flight level 330 about 50 nautical miles northwest of Isfahan in Iran. Uh, when the autopilot malfunctioned, causing the aircraft to climb 400 feet.
9: The automatic pilot, deflating!
3: Uh, a Qatar Airways Airbus, or Qatar if you prefer, Air, uh, Airways Airbus 350-1000, uh, the bigger um, A350. Registration Alpha 7, Alpha November Oscar. Performing flight 739 from Doha, Qatar, uh, to Los Angeles. Pretty sure that's the way you pronounce that. California, was en route at flight level 340, about 50 nautical miles northwest of Iran. That's about the same place. When the crew received a TCAS resolution advisory to climb due to the MD-83 having climbed above their assigned altitude, the A350 climbed at least 550 feet. The crew received a speed-slash-stall warning during the climb. The MD-83 descended back to their assigned flight level 330. The A350 also descended back to flight level 340. Both aircraft continued their flights to destinations without further incidents. And on April 23rd, 2021, Iran's CAO reported that the MD-83 climbed about 400 feet above their assigned altitude due to an autopilot malfunction, which caused a TCAS resolution advisory. The A350 received a speed stall warning during the climb. The occurrence was rated a serious incident and is being investigated by Iran's Accident Investigation Bureau. So there you go. Now, um, when I first read this, I'm thinking, wow, they must've just, so the procedure I think for all airplanes is that if you receive a TCAS, well, maybe not all, maybe there are some now that actually can fly in an automated mode and actually respond to a resolution advisory. But I think most probably that a 350 is it, it does it automatically.
4: Yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me if yeah. they had auto uh, TCAS response. Yes.
3: So, I was. I don't know for sure, though. I was thinking in my airplane, if, you know, it's a requirement that we disconnect the autopilot and manually fly the airplane. Now, the problem is, especially when you're up at cruise altitudes, uh, thinner air and all that, um, it's very easy to, you know, overdo it, over, over control the airplane. And I would imagine that, you know, the uh, the stall margin and the high speed mock buffet and high speed stall, the, the, the margin between low speed and high speed stall is pretty, what, what do we call that, uh, Nick, the coffin corner where you get up and uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. performance limits of airplanes. And then if you, if either the airplane is automatically responding to an RA or you as a pilot do it manually, I could see that it would be very easy to exceed certain parameters and then get a warning like a speed or a stall warning uh, up that high.
4: Yeah, I I agree. Um, And the trouble is that we very rarely practice uh, handling the aircraft at very high levels. Um, And, you know, normally you're flying pretty close to your maximum altitude to make the aircraft as efficient as possible. So you don't have a great margin. Um, And we're used to handling the aircraft at much lower levels where, uh, you know, you can put a reasonable amount of control input and you've got a big broad band of flying speed which you can uh, use to uh, um, maneuver the aircraft in Uh, and it's very easy to forget that at high level um, it only requires very gentle uh, control movements to achieve what you want and it takes a little while longer for the aircraft to maneuver because uh, your indicated airspeed is quite low even though your true airspeed is very high Um, so the aircraft has a lot of inertia but there's not a lot of uh, air passing over the wings to help you maneuver the aircraft so it's very easy to put an input in think nothing's happening double it and then all of a sudden things start to happen very quickly yeah. um so yeah it's 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 part of the reason that uh automated TCAS response is uh, being introduced to aircraft so that uh you know the air autopilot's used to flying up there it's very good at it mm-hmm. yeah very good <laughs> so, nice and you know, smooth Exactly. Uh, and we know that uh, mishandling the controls at high level can lead to uh, quite dangerous situations, as we have seen in the past.
3: Just a side note, um, on my previous airplane, the MD-88, MD-90, uh, we have, what is it called? The um, it's, a, it's an indication that comes on your attitude indicator. And now, all of a sudden, I'm just completely forgetting what we call that. But it's basically the pitch at which you are going to... Um, approach the stall and, um, something limiter, something pitch limiter. I don't know. Um, I should have looked that up before I started talking about it, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Uh, pitch limit indicator, maybe PLI. I think that's right. Um, anyway, it only came out when we, uh, extended the slats and then fully configured for landing, et cetera. Oh, on, right. on this oh, airplane that I fly now, it's always on there. And oh, okay. the reason why I'm mentioning it mentioning it is that I never realized, and I I do now because I can see it. So the higher we get and we get up to our performance limit or optimum altitude, that pitch limit indicator is like right there. It's not very high above <laughs> where our pitch. Oh, really? At the at that point. So you can see that, you know, if you overdid it a little bit and pulled the pulled the yoke back or the or the side stick controller. Uh, that you know, if you overdid it, you could easily bring that pitch up into that Pli range, and now you're you know approaching a stall. So I just think yes. it's an uh, in- interesting thing.
4: I I, I think the equivalent—it's well, not really a pitch um, function, but the equivalent would be the speed trend on the uh, speed indicator, mm-hmm. uh, which is an arrow that uh, goes up or down, uh, showing you where the speed will be if you don't do anything in about ten seconds time. So, uh, you know, if that arrow starts going down a lot mm. and disappears towards uh, the barber's pole... That's not good. ...then uh, you really do need to do something about it quickly. But if you're... It, it's It's got a, bit a lot of lag in it, so it's very easy to beat the system and just put too much input in, mm-hmm. and the speed trend arrow will, like, disappear off the bottom of the scale. So, mm. um, you know, it's... Uh, you've you just... <sighs> thing is you're trying to respond promptly to a potential mid-air collision Mm -hmm. so you know you're really caught between the devil and the deep you see i haven't done this before up here how much input am i going to need i'm not going to err on the safe side i'm going to give it probably enough and then hope that that's sufficient to miss the collision if we end up in a in a possible stall situation well the airplane in normal law is very well protected it's not actually going to let me stall Uh, and in fact you'd be quite justified in applying full back stick and holding it there in normal law Mm -hmm. because uh, that's the way you get to max angle of attack and that's the way you get the max max lift out of the aircraft not advisable but those facilities are there because in this case unlike the malaysian uh, not Malaysian, the Air France accident that is always in our minds. Uh, they didn't have those protections, but these guys did. They they could have gone full backstick if they wanted, but they don't right. obviously need to.
3: In that particular, you know, in the Airbus world, that would protect you right. under normal law. You wouldn't want yes, to do that. In, in fact, it, most other airplanes, though.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you'd end up with a stick shaker or mm-hmm. a you know a stick pusher or something equivalent. Well,
3: speak of. You said you mentioned the devil and the deep blue sea. Speaking of the devil, uh, we have someone in our live audience uh, who is the host of the Plane Safety Podcast, Pilot Pip. He says, We do at least one high level handling exercise in every recurrent sim these days. That's good. I think that we should all do that. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You were going to add something, I think, Nick. I think I interrupted you.
4: No, I think it would be really good if you actually did a TCAS up there. Because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's, it's it's surprisingly common, much more common down low level at twin terminal areas where there's a lot more traffic, of course. But it it does occur, and you don't want to get caught out. You need, need that ability in the back of your head.
3: Right. And most of those at high altitude are are kind of false Um Alerts and avi- mostly just alerts, um, but sometimes even resolution advisories because the TCAS computer doesn't really know what altitude that airplane is going to level off or has been cleared to. And it just is doing all the math thinking, okay, this is uh, an upward vector and this is going to be something that's going to be a problem um, if we don't do something soon. Uh, and so that's why you have to be careful when you're going near other traffic and only separated by 1,000 feet. Or in this case, I guess it's not really a factor because it's just their autopilot supposedly malfunctioned and left its assigned altitude and, uh, you know, inadvertently, apparently. But um, anyway, that's something to keep in mind uh, for those of you out there are flying uh, in the higher altitudes. You know, try to keep your climb rates um, in check if you or descent rates if you see that there might be some conflicting, conflicting traffic and that'll avoid a lot of paperwork.
4: Yeah. It's very rude. It is very like rude. Yes, just, <laughs> <I> think. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Think about the others out there. Come on. Yeah. Anyway. So that's that with that. That was a clever thing to say, wasn't it? All right. Um, overseas Cathay Pacific bases are at risk of closure. This is from simple flying. And this was sent in to us by Captain Nigel Demery. And this article, um, yes, I just mentioned Simple Flying. Uh, Cathay Pacific is reeling from a record loss of $2.8 billion in 2020. And that's a lot. And is looking to save money where it can. As such, the airline is seeking to close a number of bases around the world. The confirmed closure of its Canadian base has been announced today. I mean, that's understandable. Who well, that wants would be to have the a? First one to be, close. Yeah, it would definitely yeah. be the first one to close. Uh, a Canadian, but <laughs> according to a memo seen by the South China Morning Post, the SEMP, thats what I like to call it—the uh, memo indicated that the airline is opening to transferring pilots from the base to Hong Kong on a voluntary basis. However, a move like this could be met with resistance, given the large number of unemployed pilots already in Hong Kong following the closure of Cathay Dragon. I guess that is that the low-cost. Um, component of Cathay Pacific?
4: Yeah, it was kind of a short-haul independent airline that was swallowed up by Cathay, Uh and they sort of merged it into their uh, short-haul intra-China mainly uh, routes.
3: Okay. Cool. Anyway, uh, its pilot bases in Australia and New Zealand have also been proposed for closure. At present, no decision has been reached on its operations in Europe and the United States. All pilots from passenger fleets have been stood down since May 2020, Receiving varying levels of furlough support, and that probably has to do with the the government in the country that your your base is, right? Um,
4: yeah, I'm guessing that uh, say an English uh, or a British pilot, uh, ba- or a pilot based in Britain, a Hong Kong Cathay pilot based in Britain would receive furlough uh, assistance from the British government. I'm
3: assuming that would be right. I would think so too. Uh, the SCMP states that pilots in Australia have not been paid since April 1st. I'm, I'm assuming that's of this year, while European and US pilots have been receiving 50% of their salary. Uh, in Canada, yeah, pilots have been getting tr- two thirds of their usual salary money that the airline can ill afford right now. In a statement to the South China Morning Post, Deborah McConaughey. Uh, can, uh, Cathay's general manager for air Cruise said that we have not made any decisions on bases other than Canada at this time, nor any general decision on the future of bases. Each base area will be considered on its own merits and any decision to close, maintain or restructure that base area will not have a bearing on any subsequent base reviews. And so the article goes on to say that uh, Cathay is still burning through cash uh, at a, an unprecedented level And uh, yeah, they're really hurting. And, uh, you know, we know why. It's because, especially the internet, you know, I would imagine that probably a very large majority of their flying, passenger flying, is international. And we've talked about it so many times on the show where that's the the area uh, that's most significantly impacted by this pandemic. And that's why, you know, uh, airlines that rely upon the most of their revenue from the international flight ops are really suffering very much.
4: Yeah, it is. But it, it it's kind of contradictory, really, because we had a, an article a little earlier saying that Guangzhou uh, was now had the most movements, uh, you know, took over number one in the world. Well, that's just up the road from Hong Kong. That's not that far away. And um, Hong Kong uh, would normally be having plenty of flights in there. So I'm just wondering how uh, their short-haul um, function is is uh, not providing them with some income and some work because uh, obviously China seems to be opening up quite well. Uh, obviously, they're international. Uh, yeah, their international uh, flights are going to suffer. But, um, you know, um, Hong Kong is a great trading uh, port. Um, um, you know, there are plenty of countries that They could open too. I I don't know exactly on the uh, the COVID infection situation in Hong Kong though, but I'm assuming that like the rest of China, they got it fairly under control. I would hope that they would be turning the corner um, pretty soon.
3: Yeah, I agree. I'm wondering if the um, if if they're for accounting purposes or whatever, they have completely separated. Cathay Pacific from Cathay Dragon, which is probably, as you mentioned, doing most of their domestic um, activity. I'm wondering if that's why. You know, yeah, that possibly. It seems like that. You know, yeah, you know, the domestic market in China is doing pretty well, and as you mentioned, you know, based upon that new ranking of the world's busiest airports, seven out of ten of them in China.
4: Yeah, uh, mind you, there are pr- plenty of. Com- Competitor Airlines now in mainland China.
3: Mm -hmm. True. Maybe somebody out there knows the answer to that. Maybe even Nigel. Captain Nigel knows the answer to that. Yeah, possibly Captain Nigel. Keep us us posted. Yeah. Thanks for sending that in. Um, Moving on to the last item in our news notebook. And this is from uh, the New York Post. A flight attendant reveals the secret reason... They greet you on a plane. And this is sent in by Radio Roger. The secret reason is that they're looking for, for a future partner. No, that's not the reason. Um, <laughs> they're
4: looking for an able-bodied man. Ooh. Who mm. isn't?
3: <laughs> uh, just oh. kidding. Yeah. Don't take anything from that. Um anyway roger says i thought you'd be interested in this story <laughs> flight attendant <laughs> reveals secret reason why they greet you on planes and uh so yeah here is the article uh they're doing more than welcoming you aboard they're also sizing you up and that's when yeah. i would play
1: mm-hmm. 16 inches high.
4: very impressive
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, let's see. Uh, a flight attendant has revealed what crew members are really doing when they greet passengers on the way to their seats, determining who is most fit to help out in a case of an emergency. Have you ever walked on a plane and saw the flight attendant standing right there to greet, uh, greeting you or the flight attendants walking up and down the aisle? Well, I'm about to tell you what we're really doing, said TikTok user and flight attendant Kat Kamalani in a now viral video on the platform. Since being uploaded earlier this week, it has racked up over 2.4 million views. So that's what people are doing. Instead of reading serious news articles, they're on TikTok watching these videos. <laughs> okay, apparently. So when you're walking on the airplane and you see our happy smiling faces, we're actually looking you up and down, and we were trying to find our ABPs. It's like a APG. No, ABPs are able-bodied passengers. And uh She said that she explains that to her 588,000 followers. Wow. Uh, Able-bodied people, actually, capable of helping flight crew in a case of medical emergency, unexpected landing, or security breach. This often includes military personnel, easily identifiable, as they are often invited to board planes ahead of other passengers. And a lot of times they're carrying, like, backpacks and stuff where they have, like, military insignia on.
4: Assault rifles.
3: Yeah, (laughs) The rifles, grenades hanging off their belts. Got helmets on them. (laughs) Yes. Um, That's funny. Easily identifiable. Okay. As well as pilots. The pilots are the ones that look like slobs. Firefighters, cops, (laughs) doctors, and nurses. (laughs) Dragging an old black bag with them. Yeah. (laughs) The doctors have the uh, stethoscopes, and the nurses are holding...
4: Absolutely, and a big red cross (laughs) on their chest. (laughs)
1: Nurses have the little hat with the red cross. (laughs)
4: The The Firefighters firefighters have those... Big yellow helmets, yeah, and and big giant. Often (laughs) often naked from the waist upwards uh, and oiled. Well, oiled. I
3: I wonder why that is. I guess that must help in um, fire. Uh, They've just been to
4: another calendar shoot.
3: (laughs) Oh, okay.
5: (laughs) It's hot in a fire.
3: It does get hot, Liz. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we're looking. We're also looking at one more thing. (laughs) She says, "Are you wondering what it is?" Well, I'm going to tell you. Besides looking for for things that don't belong in the plane, including disallowed liquids, attendants are checking for human trafficking. It happens a lot in the industry, she explained. Our passenger safety is our number one priority, so we're just looking for things that look off. Uh, Let's see. Kamalani often uses her TikTok account to share industry secrets or other tidbits about her experience working as a Sky Steward. Oh, that's a good one. Lane says, how do they know that they're pilots? Easy. The pilots tell them that they're a pilot.
4: (laughs) Well, it's only because we're looking for an upgrade.
3: (laughs) Or just want people to, you know, be impressed with us. Love and admire
5: you.
4: But the last person that's going to be impressed is the cabin crew.
3: That is true. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen enough pilots. They're just looking for a free drink. All right. Yeah. All right. That's it for the news. That was fun. And uh, mm-hmm. that means, well, thanks, Liz. <laughs> I said that was fun. And she goes, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's time for my favorite part of the show, other than, of course, plain tales. Getting to know us. It's the time of the show where we talk about what has been happening in our personal lives, as much as we want to tell you since the last episode yeah we we don't tell you everything you know we're mostly transparent but not completely anyway um what you've been up to sir since the last episode which was what last well, Friday? I had
4: I quite think. an eventful week actually because i uh, i mentioned last year i had a photo shoot which mm-hmm. i did and i had this big backlog of Images which I had to uh, process uh, for the client. Uh, and I was just sort of kicking off. Uh, and then Julie came back in. Um, uh, actually, no, my dog walk. I duck walked our dogs, came back in. And I said to my wife, uh, one of the dogs is limping uh, just in the last like 10 minutes. Hmm. And um, within half an hour, we went, oh, this is odd um it's her foot is really starting to swell up now um we're in an area which is common for the the one and only uh poisonous snake that lives in the united kingdom the one Uh, not in ireland actually (laughs) because one of your clever saints got rid of them all oh
3: mr patrick um
4: yes yeah and um so <laughs> we, we'd had a good look around because normally uh, the sight of a puncture from a snake, uh, you get a lot of really dark blue, purple bruising. We couldn't see much, but the, everything else looked uh, very indicative of uh, a snake bite. So being a Sunday, and we're going, oh, damn, you know, the vets aren't open. So we had to find an emergency vet. Uh, and we drove her down, and yes, it was a snake bite. Mm. Uh, and they took her in and put her on, uh, you know, antihistamines and drip and painkillers and kept her overnight. Um, and, and now, that was Sunday, so today's Thursday, um, swelling just starting to go down. It ran all the way up her leg and uh, into her chest. And mm. so that whole area, whole side of it, her body was, uh, was badly uh, swollen, full of fluid. Um, so not good. Mm. um but the one thing about the adder, uh, it's a type of viper um i don't think there's been a, a, a human an adult particularly an adult human death in living memory for anybody I've uh, certainly never heard of one. But mm. dogs are small enough for it to have an effect if you don't get attention quickly. But obviously we did, so so that's fine. So dog is is recovering, but it did rather distract me from doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then I realised I needed to pan the plane tail as well. So I've had a, a bit of a busy a time. Busy, yeah, yeah. Well, so I, yeah. I got the plane tail out of the way and I just finished uh, the photo shoot pictures mm one of which is behind me, um, about an hour before we started the show. So, brilliant. I'm wow. getting those uh, off to the client. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we have, both my wife and I have been off for our second uh, anti-COVID vaccination very right. pleased about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, it takes a couple of weeks for it to have a full effect, but uh, very shortly we're going to feel very confident about moving around again, and uh, perhaps getting up to some hijinks. We've got a holiday coming up at, uh, in later on in next month, so looking forward to that.
3: Any uh, adverse reaction from the second shot?
4: Only that it was a bit sore to sleep on. I couldn't, Low on my left shoulder mm-hmm. uh, very easily, uh, but that's been it. You know, wow. just a slightly tender side of the injection. It was yeah. the um, Pfizer mm. uh, one, um, which seems to have, you know, uh, people react differently, yeah. so other people have a, a different effect. For me it was, and for Jilly, it was uh, negligible, really. Okay. Uh, we're both fine. Haven't even felt, you know, uh, tired or any of the other symptoms that go along. So both uh, very pleased, very pleased indeed. Excellent. All right. And that's really been my week. Not much uh, to talk about, really, other than all the fun I've had writing uh, today's Plain Town. Well,
3: I can't wait for that. Um, mm. So the uh, the lawn bowling is uh, going to be in full swing soon? It is. Uh, I've been down the
4: green a couple of times. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's okay. on am my get my shoulder back in, get my eye in. I think we've got our first league match next week, and I've got a whole bunch of uh, county and national uh, singles competitions to uh, play. Um, So
3: that's going to keep me
4: very busy. So I'm looking
3: forward to all of that. Excellent. Oh, that's too bad. I'm looking at the um, live audience um, chat room comments, and Tiffany said she has to leave, and that's a shame because I was just about to talk about something that involves her, or involved her. Uh, you'll remember that Tiffany is the you APG. You were involved with Tiffany? Well,
4: well this is a bit of
3: mission. We haven't heard about this. Yeah, well.
5: he's being transparent here. Is,
3: yeah, I'm trying to be as transparent as possible. Um, <laughs> but anyway, St- uh, Tiff- Tiffany. Tiffany is uh, our <laughs> APG librarian. Stop it, Liz. And uh, she, uh, so she's part of our uh, APG crew here. And I had a layover up in um, Western New York on Tuesday. Um, I like to call it uh, being in the buff. And mm-hmm. we have some <laughs> we have some feedback. And I'm going to play that now and then, Liz. You can put the, we'll uh, the overlay oh, there up got there. It. Got it. Yep. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Right now. Hey, everybody, we're in San Francisco, and wait, here comes a cable car. Ah, the San Francisco tree.
1: Right surrounding.
3: So, actually, no, we're not in San Francisco. We are in Buffalo, New York. And when I say we, I mean me, or I, no, I, right (laughs) here let me uh see if i can find an english teacher somewhere around here she can tell me or he or somebody can tell me what oh ma'am would you mind telling me if it's i or me what or what am i supposed to use in this case
5: i actually don't know (laughs) (laughs) i guess i would say i yeah, okay. I think so, but hello everybody, it's Tiffany, and I am here with Captain Jeff. Uh, we just had lunch in Buffalo, um, had sandwiches and sweet potato fries, and we also saw Captain Jeff's first officer, Brent, which was lovely for some I've ever met him. So, just enjoying a lovely spring day here in the BUF.
3: Yes, in the BUF. It's, <laughs> wait a minute, that could be taken oh, that's the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't i that said that we've
9: come full circle
3: yeah <laughs> okay so yeah we uh we had lunch at uh, Bing, which is uh, a place that's themed from the sopranos and don't worry there were no women uh scantily clad or without clothing it was not a oh look another cable car wow it's a beautiful day here in san francisco now this is a uh, this is cool it's uh, your light rail system and actually that's what you used to uh to come down to uh visit us down here in the downtown buff um and uh so you know, we had a great lunch at Badabing. had a great uh sandwich and um as you said the sweet potato fries and all kinds of but and then of course as i always say that's just part of it the the best part of it is just getting together, getting reacquainted, especially in these somewhat post-pandemic times, or I guess maybe not so much post
5: Waning pandemic times, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, no, it is. I've missed uh, getting together and seeing people in person. Um, I saw Captain Jeffrey before the pandemic started, I think November of 2019. So yeah, it's, it's good to be back on the meetup trail again.
3: Absolutely. And hopefully we'll get to do more and more of these. As I said last week, um, you know, that maybe we're maybe this whole meetup thing is kinda getting kick started again and things will be back to normal soon, hopefully. And I'm really looking forward to the time where we can have a a, a big, big, big meetup, you know, like when people coming over from the UK and Europe and all, all kinds of parts of the world, or maybe us going over there or whatever. So Anyway, uh, anything else you'd like to say to the community before we sign off here in the buff?
5: (laughs) (laughs) I have a feeling that that's going to linger for a while, but as it should, I guess. All in good fun. Um, No, just, you know, really always great to see Captain Jeff, and hopefully we will all be getting together very soon, the whole community.
3: And as you know, it's always great to see Tiffany. And she is the librarian of the APG Library. It's our official APG librarian. And I just have one more question to ask you. Please tell me the right answer. Your husband, Mike, doesn't listen to the show, does he? No. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Because when, of course, we say the buff, we're talking about Buffalo, New York. And with that...
5: See you later, everybody.
3: Bye. Back to you in the studio. You wonderful APG crew, you. So I have a question.
4: Does um, Steph ever go topless in the buff?
3: Um, Not sure. We'll have to ask Steph when she is back on the show with us, but I'm not sure she's driven her Jeep up to Buffalo or not. Ah, Come on, you people out there, (laughs) dirty minds. I'm ashamed. (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> yeah, terrible well, lot. By the way, speaking of buffalo, uh, this is where I took this video behind me right now. If you're watching the um, the video version of our <laughs> show, it's a beautiful place there. It's Lake that's, Erie uh, yes. with the palm tree and the beautiful yeah, wow. sand. No, that's not buffalo at all. Anyway, uh, we had a great Shame. time. Yeah, and uh, we'll put the um, link to the photo in the show notes so you can see uh, my first officer, Brent. Who, uh, whom I talk to, talk about quite often, we use the one that uh, he and I use usually try to find some good barbecue uh, wherever barbecue we're laying hundreds. over. Yeah, um, in fact, the day before we had an Oklahoma City layover, and we had uh, went to Earl's Ribs Ribs something. Earl's Ribs, I don't know. It was good. Had some good barbecue there. So when we went to uh, Buffalo, um, instead of going to Dinosaur Barbecue, which is also very good barbecue. Mainly because we had just had barbecue the day before, and uh, but probably more importantly, it was not open for lunch on Tuesday, so that's why we went to Bada Bing and uh, had a great time. So thanks, uh, Tiff, for uh, taking Tiffany for taking the train down to the downtown area. Had a great time, and look forward to seeing you again in the future. And just a reminder to all of you out there, if you're looking for aviation related I think mostly um, fiction and nonfiction whatever we have a lot of people uh, in the community who have suggested titles for the APG library so check it out and if you have any suggestions for Tiffany she'll be happy to add them to our library she works at the University of Buffalo and uh, she is a research librarian and she's also a teacher so very cool Brilliant. Oh, yeah. So we had uh, Liz um, said somebody contacted you, correct, Liz, that uh, was wondering about
4: correct.
3: the... Yes, um, one moment and I'll give, I'll
9: give you the name. Just okay.
3: So. She's going to give me the name and uh, I'll keep talking until I hear her tell me what the name is. Um, the There was something, you, you'll remember Miami Hick, not Miami Rick, but Miami Hick, uh, who uh, er, earlier on in the uh, life of APG uh, would send us every now and then some uh, little comic spoofs and that kind of thing. One of the things that he sent in back on what it was uh, episode 300 and some, some odd 367, three sixty seven. Uh, it was um, a, a puppet okay, sorry. that was uh, doing a rap a puppet. song and uh, it uh, okay.
1: It was sent in Jeff at, uh, by Charles Fisher.
3: Charles Fisher.
1: Charles Fisher. Yeah, and it was three sixty seven.
3: Three sixty seven. Sixty seven. Okay, so Charles Fisher uh, was asking about this. So thank you. Uh, so I went and uh, I'm hearing my voice in the background now.
9: Sorry, something's going wrong with my audio.
3: Oh, okay, okay. So it's you. So I'm going to turn your audio down so it doesn't confuse my brain too much. It's easily confused. Anyway, um, I went back to see if I could find, or actually Liz went and found the actual episode where we had that, and I was looking on the hard drive here at the uh, APG headquarters to see if I could find it as well, and I found it, and I, I watched it again. It's very funny, and I'm thinking to myself, I really missed a big opportunity because part of the lyrics of this rap song, actually most of it. Talks about how old and decrepit the uh, mad dogs were and that they need to be put to sleep, put six feet under and all that. And I'm thinking, man, I should have played that when. The fleet was retired last year, at the end of May, beginning of June. So um, let me
4: just. Oh, it would have been way too disrespectful uh, to yeah. <laughs> treat such a solemn occasion like that, Jeff. But now, now is an appropriate time.
3: Yeah, well, we're all we're we're all about disrespect uh, disrespect here, <laughs> so that's why I'm wondering why we didn't do it. Anyway, let's uh, play a little bit of this, and uh, here we go. what's that
10: up in the sky is it a bird is it a plane mg88 man what's that that's old as hell man that's why the mad dog more like the sad dog more like the old dog cause that's an old plane man probably made in the 1800s i don't even know if that was even round when the dinosaurs was around but it's so cool advice maybe you should sell it for some parts i know it's not nice but hey i'm just giving you a couple pointers of oh, what you can do so the mad dog can rest in peace because i feel like that plane just been waiting for the day that it could all right p six feet underground Yo, that's the sound that's why i hit you with the underground sound get it. mad dog i'm sorry i had to tell it to you mad dog i know it's not I want to go with the rest. Mad dog, the last of its kind. Mad dog, the way she could
3: die. Mad- okay, that's I can't take any more of that. That's so disrespectful and so so hurtful. So oh, But I love it. It was yeah. so good. It was great.
4: I mean, it was actually very, very clever. I really enjoyed <laughs> it the first time around. I must have been.
3: It, it was very clever, you're right. And I I uh, you can see, if you're watching the video, you can see me smiling listening to it except for the part where it, talks about it being so old it could be barely get above the ground and it being slow and pretty much everything he was saying in that but anyway it was still very very cute and so we'll have a link to show number 367 in the show notes so you can uh, now I'm gonna have to remember to put that in while I'm editing Jeff make sure that you put the link to episode 367 in the show notes that's for future Jeff. <laughs> yeah, little note to myself. <laughs> um, anyway, so you can check it out. And uh, thanks again to Brent or Miami Hick. And I hope you're, if you're listening still, I hope you're doing well. And uh, hey, come on back and send us some more funny stuff. We miss your humor for sure.
4: Absolutely, yep. Okay. Yeah, our humor is getting a bit old.
3: Yes, uh, people are growing. Yeah. Um, Tired of our tired. humor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now it is time for us to head over to the Coffee Fund, your way to support the show. And this is uh, Jeff Smith.
5: Johnny, how much more coffee? Go thank!
3: That wasn't Jeff Smith. It's the guy singing I right now. I love coffee. I love tea. And Jeff Nielsen. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea. And the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. A cup. All, right. Cool. all right. As I mentioned, Coffee Fun is your way to support our show financially. Now, you can support our show by just downloading and writing reviews and telling other people about it or sending in feedback, all that. But if you have some extra coin or cash in your pocket... Please consider joining the Coffee Fund cadre or the Coffee Bar Fund. And you can do that by heading over to AirlinePilotGuy.com coffee, where you'll find information about how you can do it. And since the last episode, uh, using the Coffee Fund classic method, we have Vigner, Darren Foley, and Alistair Kerr. And uh, that is the way to make a one-time donation, contribution, or a recurring one. The other way to do that is to become a patron of the show via patreon.com, and we have a new executive producer, yay, Devin Moore. Welcome to the Coffee Fund cadre, sir. We do appreciate that. So if you want to learn more about the Coffee Fund, please head over to the airlinepilotguy.com website, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will too. Oh, and I need to also mention that uh, using the coffee fund classic method was Dev, or Darren Foley, and he sent a little email, a little message to go along with that. It says, "Hey Jeff and crew, just checking in with my customary donation uh, after or through PayPal each time I pass a check ride," and he says he just passed his. I'm trying to get my applause ready. I Just passed my commercial check ride a few weeks back here in Massachusetts. Yay! Hooray. Congratulations. Hooray. Looking forward to some right seat flying next week when I kick off my CFI initial training. Congratulations! Awesome. That's fantastic. Absolutely, he says tailwinds, etc. <laughs> he didn't want to waste any more words. <laughs> yeah. um, he says Darren, and he says the bloke, formerly from Blighty. So, I guess over here, good place, Blanche. Yeah. Now I guess he's in Massachusetts, Massachusetts nuts, and uh, old
1: England, and now he's in New England.
3: Yes, good point, there, Liz. She says was was in old England, and now in in New England. Very clever. I hear being being so clever today, Liz. All right. Oh, I try. You do. Okay. Well, there you go. So, please join Darren. And all the other fine folks over there in the coffee fund by, again, going to airlinepilotguidecom slash coffee. And as I said, you'll be glad you did, and we will even be more glad. All right. Now, it is time for us to move on to feedback.
1: Captain, incoming message.
3: Okie dokie. Let's start off with this one from... CPL student pilot or student Nick. So commercial pilot licensed student Nick. And it's, uh, let's see. I'll just start reading as I'm sure you and your listeners are aware. Yes. A week ago, we heard the sad news that his Royal Highness, the Prince Philip Duke of, is it Edinburgh or Edinburgh. 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 And Edinburgh passed away at the age of 99. He was a keen aviator and amassed some 6,000 flying hours during his life. I thought I'd share this aviation related encounter I had with him almost exactly five years ago, which I'll always remember. Oh, no, which I'll always use to remember him. At the time, I was an officer at one of the two air cadet squadrons in what is affectionately known the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead. And given our proximity to Windsor Castle, we were occasionally asked to to attend the odd royal event. In this case, it was the unveiling of a memorial de- dedicated by the quote, "Airfields of Britain Conservation Trust." And then he has a link to that trust, uh, and we'll have that in the show notes. One of the activities of the trust is to erect memorials in places in Britain where there were once airfields, particularly airfields that were active during the war year, war, yeah, the war years, the war years. One such memorial was to be unveiled at Smith's Lawn, a polo pitch belonging to the Guards Polo Club with the grounds of Windsor Great Park, which was turned into an airfield during the war, and His Royal Highness was to unveil it. Polo fields naturally made great temporary airfields because they were large, grassy, and very flat. Anyway, the cadets and other guests were lined up smartly, and His Royal Highness arrived And unveiled the memorial. The head of the trust said a few words about the history of the airfield at Smith's Lawn and unintentionally, and then he puts a um, footnote uh, direction here. So the footnote says the cadets may or may not have harmlessly mentioned this as a fact to the head of the trust before the Duke of Edinburgh arrived. I can't remember exactly. I was otherwise. <laughs> I sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> he's just like, I can't remember exactly. I was otherwise occupied and I'm hazy on the details. It's oh, best. Of course you are, Dick. It's, yes. it's best not to think about these things too much. <laughs> okay. Mm. Yeah. So, and as it turned out, uh, the, the, uh, head of the trust incorrectly told everyone present that this is where his Royal Highness learnt to fly and first flew solo so this is a picture we're showing on the video version of the show we see prince philip there with the microphone
4: wearing a lovely royal air force tie i have one of those
3: oh, very nice and then of course the uh the the head of the trust over there um off kind of half of him um, it wasn't i didn't crop it this way this is just the way the photo was uh, cropped but uh he's looking um at his royal highness Talking about uh, this, um, he's reminiscing about this, but Prince Philip wasted no time in politely, but in his characteristically prompt way, correcting this factual faux pas by saying words to the effect of, "Mm, no, I didn't. I learned to fly over there at White Waltham, also within the Royal Borough and where I also learned to fly, and pointed in the general direction of the airfield with a puzzled look on his face. (laughs) So again, that's the picture we're showing here. The puzzled look on the uh, (laughs) the head of the trust. He's going, huh? (laughs) What is he talking about? (laughs) No, he learned how to fly here.
9: (laughs) Everybody's puzzled. Yeah, everybody's puzzled.
3: Um, yeah, even the dog is puzzled in the in the picture here, Liz said.
4: Yeah, I, so, I, I'm said,
3: looking at that <laughs> thinking,
4: who is that random person with the dog? I don't know. Oh, well. But she's, <laughs>
3: she has a puzzled look on her face as well. Like, what? She's not interested yeah, in Yeah, absolutely. What's going on here? I'll take my dog for a walk. Yeah, anyway, the gentleman from the trust looked mortified, but we all nervously chuckled, and Prince Philip smiled. He then said a few words and regaled some tales of his time flying, which sadly I've now forgotten, and unveiled the memorial. Before he left, he took time to meet and talk to the cadets who'd come to see the unveiling and swapped flying stories, which I know they all enjoyed. It was a day I'll always remember and a great honor to have met him in the context of aviation and flying. I've attached a picture of him from the event, which we've been looking at, and also a picture we uncovered of him flying his Harvard over Windsor Castle. I don't have that one with us right now, but we'll have that in the show notes. Uh, When exactly this photo was taken, I'm not sure. That's all for now. I hope you enjoyed this brief antidote. God save the queen. And again, commercial pilot license student Nick. Very funny. I <laughs> really chuckled on that one. Uh, as you I, said, I
4: think it's an anecdote. Uh, oh. He's actually written antidote. Oh, that's
3: right. It's. anecdote. I'm
4: just wondering what what it's an antidote for. Oh yeah. I well, mean, I, I read it exactly COVID, how he it wrote it. It might be it. a COVID <laughs>
3: antidote. <laughs> and actually, I have to be honest. When I when I was saying it, I'm thinking. Well, that's not right, but I think I just pronounced that correct. <laughs> anecdote. Yes. Very good. Yes. Well he said he's it. a CPL student, Nick. He's not an English student.
4: Ah, oh, that's true. Yes, that's right. We don't need much English to be a pilot. You're quite right. <laughs> very oh, good. But having said that, it's 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 tough uh doing these commercial licenses and particularly the the ground study required. So good mm-hmm. luck with all that.
3: Yes. Good luck. We're all counting on you. At the APG, Absolutely.
4: and I do love the story, and I love it that your cadets <laughs> fed this misinformation to the black and charge.
3: He says they may, may have, he may not have. He they can't may remember. Have, to move yeah. on. Or it might have been <laughs> Nick that did that. I wonder. Yeah, I have a feeling that he had something to do with this. That's funny.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he was uh, he was a very forthright uh, Prince Philip. He wouldn't have uh, been shy about <laughs> correcting anyone.
3: <laughs> he seems like the kind of guy I think it would have been fun to uh, be friends with and have beers at the bar
4: with. Oh, I, I certainly think so. Yeah, I'd love to have met him. It would have been great.
3: All right. Let's move on to some more feedback. This one is from Robert, if I have my numbers correct. Yeah, I think I do. Um, Robert from Marietta, or I i like to call it Marietta, and uh, south of the Big Chicken. If any of you ever travel to the Atlanta area, and uh, you happen to find yourselves in the northwest side, out in the burbs of Cobb County, make sure you stop by the Big Chicken. You'll be glad you did. What
4: is the Big Chicken? I don't remember a big... No, I didn't chicken. show you that. It's not really that popular.
3: But if you're in the Marietta area, Marietta area, yeah, you know all about the big chicken, or you should, if you're any kind of a Marietta citizen. Chicken buff. So, yeah, chicken buff. It's actually an old um, location for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And the store uh-huh. doesn't look like your typical Kentucky Fried Chicken because whoever happened to own that particular franchise many, many years ago, Constructed this huge chicken head that's just sticking up, and I think it's been a while since I've seen it. But I think like the mouth moves or the beak moves open, you know, and closed, and it's, it's there's it, some kind of motion. On save
4: it. me, save yeah. me, help!
3: Don't eat me, please. <laughs> <laughs>
4: We're expecting you to go and take some pictures for. Yeah,
3: okay. Liz says now I got to go over there and take some pictures. Or, you know, I could probably find some (laughs) online. (laughs) That would be easier. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Uh, the big chicken. Yeah. So um, Arnie in the chat room says, big chicken. I love it. They repaired it after a tornado. Yeah, so I think they still, I think they may have modernized it a little bit too when they reconstructed it. I guess they got. um,
9: Is it a spring chicken?
3: It's a spring chicken. No, I don't think it's a spring chicken. It's a very old chicken.
9: Okay.
3: Mm. Anyway. Um, So Robert says, I was on Facebook the other day, and someone in Calgary had a vanity license plate made for their car for the letters of, I suppose, their favorite runway intersection. I turned this into an idea for apparel, maybe for the most specific demographic ever, but I guess we'll let you all and your listeners judge. And he put a smiley face there, and then he has a link to tpublic.com. And uh, let's see. Let me share this screen so you can see the shirt that uh, Robert um, created or designed. I guess would probably be a better term for it. And let's see if I can find that window. Here we go. Share. Okay. Now, you should probably see his note. And there is... The picture of the uh, ATL Runways t-shirt. And it says 8R-26L. Of course, the runway sign designating the runway 8 r right, 26 left at the ATL. Also, some related products. Um, a hoodie. And a, looks like a bumper sticker. A mug. And... What is that last one? Oh, a, uh, a face mask. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll put a link to this in the show notes if any of you are interested in purchasing one of these from Tee Public T-E-E-Public.com, and the uh, ATL runway sign. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, that just gives me an idea for another uh, sign that you might see on a runway or taxiway or in that vicinity. And... Here's what I came up with. Look at that. So it's oh, very good. Taxiways Alpha, Papa and Golf. So
4: APG. in this case you would be on Papa yep. and you would turn left for Alpha and angle right for Golf. You are It's like
3: you've done this before, Nick. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I not <haven't> forgotten. <laughs> oh, nice. Clever,
4: isn't it? That was just a quick, so uh, cool.
3: a quick thing. It's not perfect, obviously. The proportions aren't exactly right, and all that kind of stuff. But I do see uh, when I'm taxiing around on airport properties, um, and uh, I'll see a sign like this where they have, as Nick just described, you know, the the one in the middle is the one you're on, and then the others are okay. If you're if you're wanting to turn on Alpha, then you go this way, and you want to go to Golf, you go quarter left turn uh, to the right, and uh, sometimes you'll see. D-A-D, and I'll go, oh, there's dad, or M-O-M. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they they sometimes spell kind of funny things, and I'm probably the only one that notices that, but I'm weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You know, I,
4: I'm a bit old school. I used to love it at Heathrow uh, mm-hmm. when they used to actually have um, um, features on the ground which they referred to, uh, so they would uh, – turn left at Trident Corner oh, because they had an old Trident parked on the airfield Uh. and there was a, you could turn left beside it. Uh, And I used to think that was rather nice, but of course, eventually they went all IKO on me and uh, that sort of thing disappeared. (laughs) Uh. But I used to love it.
3: Yeah. yeah, That reminds me in Chicago O'Hare, and I've mentioned it many times on the show, where they used to have, they didn't have uh, alphanumeric taxiway designators. They were all kind of very similar to what you were saying. Uh, they had, you know, uh, turn left on, on the Wolf or take the inner outer cargo wedge to runway, you know, in, when you're first in there, you're going, what? What are they what talking the about? hell? But after a while, actually, you knew exactly what they were t- I mean, you didn't have to even refer to a diagram after you were familiar with what all those things were referring to. But yeah, uh, yeah, sadly, they, they went the I K O route, just like Heathrow did, I guess. Everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mohammed, our air traffic control trainee in Iran, no, Iraq. <laughs> Shoot, now I'm doing it. Um, says my breakfast incident was on Taxiway P, Papa, picnic.
4: <laughs> oh, there you go. Right. Cool. Yes, the picnic runway.
3: Yeah, that's why they named it Taxi Taxiway Way. Papa. All right, and then Robert in Mayreta also sent us some feedback uh let's see howdy crew i used google flights a few weeks back found a cheap fare from atlanta to denver after getting my vaccinations and getting antsy sitting at home so much first leg was on a refurbed delta 767-400 and it left with about 70 empty seats which made for a very short takeoff run this also made for an easy revenue upgrade and a question Oh, the other reason why it was a short takeoff run is because that airplane was designed to fly like across the pond and, you know, longer distances. So going from Atlanta to Denver is like a piece of cake for that airplane. Anyway, this also made for an easy revenue upgrade. And a question, why do some seats like the first class junior seats or excuse me, junior suites without doors, as I'll call the ones on this plane, have shoulder straps? I did some searching online, but I couldn't find. An answer uh, ATL was quite busy this morning which I think is a good thing we're getting back a sense of normalcy finally stay safe and hope to catch up soon um, I, I'm not sh- I, I think it has something to do with the proximity of these seats to certain exits and that kind of thing but I don't you know honestly I don't know exactly what the right answer is for why some of those seats have the have the um, um, what do they call them The shoulder straps and some don't. Uh, Do you have any idea, Nick?
4: Uh, I I don't know. Uh, Is it that entire row uh, or just the odd seat? Because um, if they're in a a junior suite up first class, uh, they're often not four and a half seats. They're often angled, Mm -hmm. and I don't know the configuration what they're like on this aircraft. But if they're angled, then um, and you're in a deceleration obviously you're not your body isn't going to be thrown forwards or backwards Mm -hmm. it's going to go off at a funny angle and um, in order to stop you from twisting and damaging yourself too much uh, they you might have a shoulder strap or on our um, upper class in the a340 we actually had um, airbags fitted to the lap strap, so the airbag would inflate. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you are thrown at a sideways angle, this would give you protection. Um, So that's my only thought. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't really know other than that.
3: Yeah, I don't either. Maybe somebody out there knows a little bit more. Um, Speaking of uh, big chicken, our producer-director in Toronto sent this. To me in a private chat. There we go. There is a picture oh, it's a of tailplane. Yeah, it looks like it.
4: It's a, it's a fin and, yes, and the a, um, yeah.
3: and the beak um, kind of opens and closes. You know, so it's like some kind of a mechanism in there that is going round and round and making the beak open and close. So that's the big chicken at the KFC. The big chicken in, uh, okay. in Mayretta. It's
4: very cool. You, you just think if you had KFC airline, you you could have your tails, all your tails like that.
3: Yeah. That would, would be cool. Very good, a lo- yeah. and including the little beak that go- opening and closing. Yeah. You, yes, you could probably put that on as well.
4: <laughs> what you use it for. I don't know. You
3: oh go. yeah. Uh, well, you know what, uh, Liz? I think that Nick would be perfect. Captain Nick looks a lot like Colonel Sanders in that. Colonel. Yeah. <laughs> With the uh, nice white beard. Anyway. I think
4: I need to be a bit more yeah. hairy. Okay. I speak with a
3: southern accent. There you go. All right. Um, yes. Close tabs. Thank you. All right. Oh, uh, before we go, um, Robert also said also if I'm not too boring, I compiled my field trip from uh, to Denver and Salt Lake City yesterday here. So he has a link to his. YouTube channel, and the name of the video is Robert's Field Trip West. So if you're interested in checking that out, I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. So thank you, Robert, for sending in your feedback. Uh, let's see. Continuing. Oh, this is this is uh, precious. Uh, we have some audio feedback from Landon out on the left coast of the United States. And he sent us. Well, I just said it. He sent us some audio feedback and let me see if I can find that window and I'll press the button to play it. So let's have a listen.
1: Hi guys. This is Landon. It's early morning. I was, uh, I was driving and, uh, was listening to some vast aviation and ran across, uh, I'll see Lincoln, the, I guess, link in the show notes below, but ran across a, uh, what do you call that? Bass Aviation video of a guy flying a citation, Ben Dorgan, he's coming into the pattern and he's saying. There's a whole lot of aircraft uh, flying around in the pattern here, and they're all doing touch-and-goes. Uh, sounds like it was an uncontrolled airport. Uh, I don't know. I'll do some more research on that in a second, but I'm pretty sure it was uncontrolled because everybody was self-announcing their position, like good general aviation pilots doing a damn good job and not hitting anybody, and he's coming in and complaining, saying, oh, I'm going to do a 6,000-foot uh, overflight of the airport. And I'm seeing a whole lot of aircraft here, and it's unsafe, and I'm going to go run and tell all to the FAA. I don't understand that. <clears throat> I'm, you ever heard of that meme where it's a monkey that's sitting there on a the desk and he's pressing on a calculator trying to calculate who in the world he thinks, you know, you're talking to? That That's kind of how I am right now. It's kind of how I would have been in the airplane. Probably had to call him out. Good thing I wasn't flying up there and been. But um, <clears throat> does he have a right... To go ahead and start asking/slash volun-ordering other aircraft to extend their downwinds and telling them when they need to turn base and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. It's just, I, I'm going to have a Stewie moment. Who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> so, yeah, let me know. I may be wrong. Hey, I just dragged knuckles. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not that smart. <laughs> But I know I'm not going to let anybody who's not an aircraft controller tell me what I need and need not do so that he can have priority in land. Get in line, sir. Get in line. Everybody else will move out of your way appropriately. Follow the rules. Announce your position. Everybody knows you're a big bad citation and you're coming in to land. And uh, they'll make way for you. I don't know. But uh, anyways, I'm off my high horse. I'm going to get back to it, probably hit some hit some flying around the Bay Area. May do some Golden Gate Bridge flying again. All right. Uh, goodbye, Captain Jeff, Nick, Steph, Dr. Captain Steph, Miami Rick, and Dana. Peace.
3: Peace. All right. Peace. Thank you, Landon. <laughs> Always good to hear from you. That was good. Yeah. yeah. So you want to hear the VAS Aviation, well, the audio from the VAS Aviation aviation video?
4: No, I just want to ream this bloke out with a red-hot poker. Well, Well, you're
3: going to get even... Yeah, let's listen to it. Yeah, I think you'll even get more (laughs) upset when you hear that. Uh, So let's see. I think I have this one already ready to go. Let's see. No, that's not... That was the, the one. Yeah. 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 Oh, I guess I didn't you I didn't set that one music? up. Yes, wow. you didn't yeah. queue it up. It was, I didn't queue it up. Okay. Yeah, that was not the citation pilot playing music. He wasn't was music though. Yeah, it was nice. Um, let's see, where's that? Oh, here we go. Frustrated citation pilot at Bend Municipal Airport. And uh we're queuing it up now. Here we go.
8: Traffic, Site 36, Medeco, student
7: solo, turning left base runway, 3-4, Mentravec. Traffic, Citation Jet, November 41, November Delta, 7 miles to the west, inbound to fly the overhead at 6,000 feet for left downwind runway 3-4. There are a lot of aircraft in this pattern doing traffic pattern work, and it is unsafe. Welcome to bed. I live here. And I'm here all the time. You guys... I've got a, a jet, I'm about. I'm getting a TARA right now, I need you guys to to help me out here.
8: 26th Mgega, okay, student solo, we're coming in for final, uh, full stop, thank you. Inbound, Comptor 7425 Tango, 4.72 West, 4,500,
7: looking for you at westbound, maintaining 4-5. Skyhawk 13 got 5 these 5, 5,500 inbound. November 401, November Delta, flying the overhead at 6,000 for left one. I'll make it a, a wide left down one and a wide base, and it looks like November 9012, Hotel Charlie, if you want to extend your downwind, I'll come in behind you, and if you continue to extend your downwind all the way out to China Hat, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can get in and make a left base inside of you. Uh, you can turn your base, probably a safe time to turn your base is going to be... Uh, after I'm on final. Traffic helicopter five five two Lima Echo. Right base to final Bravo. Traf, Bravo taxiway parallel three four Ben traffic. And
0: ben traffic one two zero. We'll make a uh, look. Excuse me. Uh, short approach runway three four Ben. Ben traffic tap uh, two Romeo turning left downwind three four. Uh, looking for the second traffic.
7: Wait, Romy, I want to be turning in front of you, but above you. I'll be at six thousand feet, and I'll get ahead of you. If you can fly slow as possible, please, uh, because I am in front of you, but above you, and I'll be outside. Yep, hey
0: okay, Romy, we'll slow it down, and we'll keep an eye out for you. I got gotcha. you.
7: Thank you. Uh, November nine zero one two hotel. Are you going to make? Looks like there's two other aircraft on final. I don't know. Are you making a short final, or you're going to extend your your downwind?
0: Uh, looking on traffic on final. Turn to base right now. One hotel.
7: Yeah, I see two aircraft on final. Uh, they might be helicopters, I'm not sure. Okay,
8: helicopter,
7: four, six, zero, an echo final for Bravo, Carlos Three Four Nine Bravo 2-0. once we go, free east, inbound for midfield flyover. Traffic, citation November 4-1, November Delta. I'm in the left downwind, I'm going to stem this a little bit so that Nano Hotel can uh, make his turn to final.
8: So base final three
7: four. Um, uh, let's
0: go, Ben. QA okay, Romeo. Uh, I'm in the downwind. I'm just going to continue extending until citation's on final. Ben.
7: Wait, Romeo. Uh, Citation November four one November Delta. I'm left base. Uh, if you could keep it slow as possible, I'm going, to try and avoid, I'm going to try and avoid another TCAS alert while coming into Ben. And just so you guys know, I did report this to the FAA. You guys, there's too many people in this pattern. It is unsafe. Sweet.
8: The traffic, 1-3 off midfield 5,500 westbound, setting up for the
7: 4534. Traffic, Citation November 41 November Delta, I am turning final for runway 34, going back as slow as possible here. I'm not sure if uh, you guys will be out of the way in time for me to land. I hope I don't have to do a go around here.
0: My traffic factor Romeo on an extended downwind, going to turn left base behind the citation. set.
7: Okay, Ben Traffic, citation November 41 November Delta, I'm short final for runway 34 Bend.
0: Ben Traffic, Scott, 49 Charlie Golf, 8 miles to the east, 5,500 inbound Bend.
7: Ben Traffic, November 41 November Delta, 1 mile final, I see a line, I think it's helicopters on Bravo that are closing out the right side of the pattern, are there any aircraft on the runway I'm not seeing? Bravo, Bravo's holding short of the runway, we see the runway's clear.
0: Traffic, guys. Three hundred to the west end. Traffic, guys. Three Romeo is turning an extended final three four bend. Bend traffic. One two hotel left crosswind three four bend traffic.
7: Bend traffic. Track one three golf three mile forty five left downwind three four bend.
3: I think we've heard enough.
4: <laughs> I certainly have. <laughs> So, now, I, I'm just, because uh, this guy flies a jet, does that give him extra authority uh, over absolutely everyone it else does. in the air? <laughs> yeah, I, thought it, I thought it did. That's, Apparently. That's the way I felt. <laughs> so, if I came in with four jets, I could tell him to disappear and go to some other airfield, because I'm in charge now, could I?
3: Yeah, I think that uh, yeah, that would be expected, I think. <laughs> um it was funny to me that he comes in, you know, I'm uh in this, you know, this big site, this big fast citation jet. Well, it's not big and not really that fast either. <laughs> but it is a jet, but still, uh we have a little bit of a airplane superiority complex thing going on here, apparently. And uh, uh and a wannabe air traffic control, or maybe he's like Arhag over there at the uh that other podcast. Um, that are pilots and air traffic controllers, and they just don't know when to use which skill. No (laughs) boundary. No boundary. (laughs) No boundary. I haven't flown at at a lot of
4: uncontrolled airports. Um, So um, what is the sort of packing order?
3: Well, you know, I don't have a lot of experience either flying at uncontrolled airports. Um, But I don't think being a controller and directing people to extend their... Downwinds and bases and adjusting speeds and all that is something that uh, you he has any business doing. And I love the comment by one of the people in the pattern, sweet, after he said yeah, he was going to be the reporting them to the FAA. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay, absolutely. yeah. I don't, I'm not sure that the FAA is really going to do anything with that report because everybody is using – The airport legally and uh, sorting things out and making great position reports and everything else. And, yeah, just the pomposity and gall of this guy to start directing people. I understand why Landon and all the other people who have made comments on this video are going like, what? And also in our live chat room as well. People are going, you got to be kidding me. Uh, This is disgusting. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it's something so uh, unusual in America, because I'm quite used to coming into an American airfield, uh, and the fact that I'm a 300-ton aeroplane has absolutely no bearing over my priority for a landing, etc. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone seem, it seems to be very even-handed about uh, who gets in and out of airports, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So I, I find this most unusual, uh, really weird in fact it, 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 if he hadn't been for the accent i would have said he was an englishman <laughs> wow really okay well uh, yes yeah, we're renowned for it <laughs> being well, in I... charge taking control yeah you you there man you yeah. go and do that yeah it's, do this uh, i'm dead. coming into land now <laughs> don't you know who i am <laughs> yes exactly right yes <laughs> Yeah.
3: No, I'm only joking. Of course. Yeah, of course. You uh, are. I, and that's the half Australian in me coming out. Sorry <laughs> about that, folks. But uh, yeah, this was just, I, I, I was listening to this and half laughing out loud and half like yelling as Landon did. Yeah. Like, what? What do you think you are? Just because you're flying a jet, you know, you're going faster now. Yeah. You just got to fit in with all the other t- traffic. T-
4: tip my hat to all the other folk in the circuit who didn't just rip a new one because I'd be very tempted to.
3: Mm hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, we welcome your comments, folks uh, listening to this. Uh, what do you think about this? You know, was this justified? Did he have any any uh, g- legs to stand on or ground to stand on when it comes to directing traffic just because he's in a faster, higher performance uh, airplane than? Yeah, and he wants to others? get it on the ground first. Right. Oh, you know. Yeah. So I hope that you can get out of the way so I don't have to do a go around. Yeah, that would be highly yeah. inconvenient, wouldn't it?
4: <laughs> In yeah. your jet. What, well, you're short of fuel? Yeah. You didn't, didn't have enough fuel on board.
3: Oh, well, yeah. Again. I part of it, <laughs> actually. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was a little stressed out because he didn't do proper fuel planning or something. I don't know. Mm, possible. Yeah. Well, thanks, Landon, for pointing that out to us. It was uh, amusing and frustrating all at the same time. Just like me. Yes. <laughs> 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 okay. Next one up is from Dominic. This is an interesting one, Nick. I think you'll be interested anyway. My name is Dominic. Absolutely. I'm a 737FO from Sydney, Australia. I wanted to start by passing on a big thank you for the countless hours of companionship you gave me over the last year. I discovered your podcast while on Stand Down, and it helped me to stay connected to the industry I love so much. Listening to... uh Listening two-year stories, and banter brought me straight back to sitting in the flight deck and cruise, swapping stories of past exploits with my colleagues, which is one of the many aspects of this job I enjoy so much. I'm sure I speak for many other crews out there when I say that your show helped us remain connected to the industry, and I'm sure it did much for the mental health of stood-down crews worldwide. So thank you from all of us. You're welcome, and we're happy to Be of some assistance in that. Anyway, wanted to send in some feedback regarding episode 454, where Nick told us his story about blowing up his multimeter. You have, is that the way you pronounce it? Yeah. Okay. It's a multimeter. I was thinking it was a multimeter. (laughs) And uh, anyway, you have, you know, I'm always questioning now um, my pronunciation of things. Uh, You have my sympathy. Nick, because I've done exactly the same thing, but I thought I might be able to give some feedback as to why this happened. So a quick bit of background context first. My love of aviation has always run alongside a keen interest in electronics. This has led into a background in electrical engineering. Oh, this guy's smart, uh, which proved mm-hmm. very handy as a fallback job during my stand down last year. So for all the young girls and guys and girls asking about how to structure their career path, I think it's a great example as to why hedging your aviation career with something else is a good idea. It might be a pandemic. It might be a medical reason, but not being able to fly is an outcome that really needs to be considered by all of us. So having a second skill up your sleeve is a great idea. Anyway, back to the story. I was 16 and keen to fix anything I could. So, when one of the light fittings in the cellar of the family home needed replacing, I felt it was time to shine. I was building more advanced circuits at this stage, so it it couldn't be too hard, right? I tripped Mm -hmm. the circuit breaker for that part of the house and went down to the cellar with my tools and the new fitting and set to work. It was dimly lit from the ambient light, but I had just enough light to see what I was doing. So I grabbed my multimeter to test the live and neutral terminals of the fitting before I got to work. So with one hand holding a probe to the neutral, I switched the meter on, positioned the other probe over the live terminal, then looked down at the meter as I connected the probe. What happened next is burnt in my memory. There was an almighty kabang and everything turned brilliant white. And right there In my field of view was the black outline of the meter with a bright white aura of light surrounding it. (laughs) We should have some sound effects.
9: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It
3: instantly vaporized the leads and I was left absolutely dumbfounded and temporarily blind. I eventually found the door and went upstairs to take a moment to contemplate my life choices. (laughs) A a post-mortem of my meter found the culprit. First, the good news was that the fuse had done its job, but sadly, the meter was completely destroyed. But there in front of me was the smoking gun. I had left one of the leads connected to the ammeter socket instead of the voltage socket. So, Nick, I'm assuming that this may have been what happened to you, too, and will no doubt happen to someone else out there. So I thought I'd offer a brief public service announcement as to the dangers of the ammeter setting. Here's the rundown. If your meter has only two jacks and there's no ammeter setting to measure current, so there's no risk. Oh, wait. If your meter has only two jacks, then there's no ammeter setting to measure current, so there's no risk. But if it has three or sometimes four jacks, then one of those will be a common neutral or black socket. One will be for voltage, resistance, capacitance, and other such functions. But the remaining one or two will be for measuring current with some having a low and high current jack. They measure current by using a conductor of a known but very low resistance. When current passes through the conductor, the very small but known resistance, it causes a slight voltage drop, and that voltage can be correlated to a current flow using Ohm's law, which is displayed on the meter. I was thinking about reciting Ohm's law, but I'm not going to. Um, don't show kidding. off. I, no, I don't know it. I'm just kidding. Uh the danger I used to know it. <laughs> but I don't anymore. Yeah, I don't either. The danger with the current shunt is that because of that very low resistance, it conducts electricity, e- electricity extremely well. In fact, it's essentially a short circuit. So if you, like me, were to have one probe connected to the common socket and the other accidentally connected to the 10-amp current jack, and were then to connect the meter to a mains circuit, and you're, then you're essentially short-circuiting the mains through your meter which with explosive results. Anyway, I, <laughs> yeah. well, it's not me. I'm just reading it, Liz. She just popped the some crickets, crickets pitched up on the screen. Just listening yes. to the, audio. the chat room was demanding them. Oh, the chat room was demanding it. Uh, oh, fair enough. What are we going to do with them? Anyway, anyway, hope this might help. Um, Let's see. Might be of help to some other listeners out there to avoid the same outcome. But of course, always read the instructions for your meter and be very wary of anything to do with mains voltage. Thanks again for the great podcast. Keep up the great work. Kind regards, Dom. And so thank you, Dominic, for uh, sending in that. Now, we're going to hear from Captain Nick to see if he diagnosed the uh, situation properly.
4: (laughs) Did he? I've actually been through the board of inquiry following this incident. (laughs) And I now have the full report. Oh, good. Uh, And it turns out uh, this is not exactly what I did. Um, What I did was to um, connect the two probes uh, of my multimeter uh, into the mains uh, and then realized that I hadn't actually selected on the uh, selector knob on the front um, uh, what would have had to have been 600 volts ac uh, the correct selection to measure what i wanted to measure mm-hmm. um so rather than disconnect them i thought i'll just whack the i'll just whack the selector <laughs> around <laughs> to the correct setting and uh, uh, uh electricity is very quick it's obviously quicker than me because mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. i whack the uh selector around i must have gone through a setting that it didn't appreciate oh. uh which is why the damn thing blew up so uh, uh, what i should have, should have disconnected right <laughs> i should have disconnected yeah. uh, and selected and then reconnected and i thought i could uh, take a shortcut or in fact a short circuit <laughs> yeah that's what you did for a very short Absolutely. period of time so but as you yeah, said that'll teach
3: me things travel pretty quickly like the speed of light right? (laughs) Well, that's that's me. I'm a fighter pilot. I can go
4: that fast. (laughs) Yeah, you should have handled that just fine. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Mac two, no problem. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, And it was uh, quite amusing, not as amusing as taking my black and decker drill uh, to knock a hole in the wall and hitting the mains. Mm. That really did uh, make a very big bang. And it melted this, masonry drill, which was about four inches long. It melted two inches off the end Hmm. uh, with the bang. Uh, That was very good. And, of course, blew the house mains and all the the fuses. This was in the days uh, before um, those very clever little earth trip circuit Mm. breakers that you get nowadays. This was an old-fashioned... Um, big old ceramic fuse with lots of wire around it and a couple of nails stuck in it that went bang. So uh, I was going, "Boo!" Wow. Uh, and uh, my other sins have uh, involved uh, trying to put up a mirror for my wonderful wife who had been in hospital, and I thought this would be a lovely thing. It was just the finishing touch to uh, a job we'd done redecorating and refitting out uh, the downstairs loo with this lovely mirror I'd purchased. And when she went into hospital, I hadn't had time to hang it. So I thought I'd hang it before she came home. And uh, I was literally due to pick her up. And I thought, I'll just bang a thing in the wall here. And Uh I drilled away. And I hit the mains water pipe was going up through the oh, wow. wall. And I'm standing in this freshly decorated, beautiful-looking uh, small downstairs toilet uh, with my hand over a hole with mains pressure water coming through like the fountains in Trafalgar Square. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrendous. Uh, I, I was, the only saving grace was... The um, stopcock was, like, behind, about two feet behind me. I let go for a while, which was a bit of a shame because it ruined the paperwork. But mm. I got the stopcock off. And then I would to leave and go pick up Jillian. admit to her when we came home that we actually had no, no mains water. Oh, my gosh.
9: Uh, Welcome yeah. home. My, Most of intent. My, yeah,
4: exactly right. My life is full of excitement. <laughs>
3: full of electricity here in the house that you're back there are others but i I don't want to bore you (laughs) okay well
4: you're not boring us at all that's very funny (laughs) and everyone said get one of these uh, detectors Mm -hmm. uh, which are absolutely useless Mm because like uh, 99 of my house seems to react to these things particularly if you're looking for electric cables so Mm -hmm. i think they're yeah crazy don't worry i had good old mr jones the builder came around and fixed that for me he was a fine chap excellent
3: well the moral to that story is probably just as was it ludger yes pilot solution write it up and call maintenance <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> all right um Liz, do we have time for one more? Should we, yeah. you know what?
9: Yeah, Seth, you can do Seth if you okay.
3: want. Okay. All right. Let's do Seth's uh, feedback number eight. Greetings from Sydney again, uh, keeping uh, it down under. Just a quick G'day, one. Good Sport. Pardon me? Good Sport. Good day. Yeah. Good day, uh, Sydney. Good day. Just a quick one to let you know what I recently just. Uh, no. Just a quick one to let you know that I recently discovered your podcast through a mention on the Airplane Geeks podcast. And that's why I'm paying oh. homage to the Airplane Geeks, because I'm wearing the Airplane Geeks t-shirt. here. Oh, nice. <laughs> there we go. Um, and I uh, hope you didn't get too excited by that. Um, the mm-hmm. oh, Let's see. I've listened to the past 10 or 12. Has it stopped wobbling now? <laughs> Shut up. The past 10 or 12 episodes, and I'm hooked. The knowledge and different perspectives you each offer, along with the great production value, and most importantly, the banter, make the three hours fly by. Well, thank you very much, Seth. That's uh, uh, quite nice, your compliments. Absolutely. As a plane spotter, I photographed the Virgin Atlantic A340-600 arriving and departing many times during its years of service to Sydney. I assume Captain Nick would have operated down here at some stage. It was a great aircraft and livery to shoot. Is he correct? Did you operate down to Sydney Oh, at all? many times, okay. yeah.
4: It was a bit of a killer, that one, because mm-hmm. it was a pattern where we went into Hong Kong, uh, had a bit of a break, then went down to Sydney one night, back to Hong Kong, a bit of a break, then back home. So it was like a nine-day pattern or something. So uh, it was a bit of a killer. By the time we were on that way home, we were pretty tired. Yeah. But, uh, and we didn't get in Sydney. We always wanted two nights in Sydney. That would have been the perfect pattern. Uh, but mm-hmm. we never did, sadly.
3: Oh, that's a shame.
4: Well, we got um, one night. Uh, yeah.
3: Well, that's good. Yeah. That's a, I, I, I've i only been to Australia a, a handful of times when I was in the uh, Air Force uh, near Sydney. And a uh, beautiful place. Um, got to have a meetup down absolutely there. Absolutely. Like. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to have it. And Liz says, we, we got to have a meetup down there. So you have an excuse to go down to Australia, right, Liz? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Like you need one, right? <laughs> you don't need an excuse. Okay. Um so, uh he said, "Here's a link to my website and it's on SmugMug and it's his own um his own site on smugmug.com." And on Instagram he's SJ Aviation Photography. And he says, "Keep up the great work and hope to hear many more episodes." So I went and looked at his site on SmugMug and I um, did a screenshot of one of his thing, and he had some watermarks and everything else on it. And I asked, I, I replied to him and asked him if it were okay if I showed one of his uh, photographs with the. I said, "Don't worry, I'll leave the watermark on there, and you know I don't want to mess up with or steal pl- it. or steal it. Yeah, mess up with copyright and all that kind of stuff." By the way, it's Seth Jaworski, and um, he wrote back very kindly and said, "No, I don't mind at all. In fact, I'll send." some low-res uh, versions of his high-resolution photos of the a three forty six hundred in Virgin Atlantic livery. And uh, and I said, well, you know, I, I don't need to put them in the show notes. And he goes, no, go, please do. Um, and then, you know, people can take a look at them and check out his site and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to share my screen with some of his absolutely gorgeous photos and uh, here we go. Window is this one here. Share, and Nick can probably make some commentary. But uh, look at that! I mean, I think the A340, the that stretched version, that 600, was just absolutely gorgeous. Just the de- the what's the word I'm looking for? Proportions. proportions thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just perfect. I
4: agree. The engine size, and what's more, when Virgin. Started that lipstick, metallic red. Um, it really was a super color. Uh, the early versions of uh, various color schemes not quite so good, but uh, I think that was definitely the uh, the best
3: they Boy. ever went for. Here's one that's taking off there, and uh, I'll scroll down a bit. And uh, there's one on the ground, still a beautiful looking airplane, even on the ground. Um, I think what you know the the shorter three forties didn't look as pretty because they kind of can't, they kind of pointed down a little bit, didn't they? Um, on the front,
4: yeah, it always looked like the nose wheel was a bit short,
3: right? Uh, but it wasn't, but, yeah, it just but, had that appearance. And uh, the longer version, the 600, looked, uh, didn't look like it was kind of pointing downward when it was on the ground, it was much more. Level.
4: no, it's very elegant uh,
3: aircraft, I always thought, yeah, look at that one. Here's a beautiful one of it taking off. I think that was the one I took a screenshot of with all the engine exhaust um kind of uh distorting the um the photo behind in the yeah lovely, the scenery behind lovely.
4: I'd love to know what dates uh, these were taken on because um, I bet uh, no you know'd be just like to know if I was in one of them,
3: yeah. Seth, if you're, if you're listening, and I'm, assume, I'm assuming that you will be, uh, please uh, let us know or send a, a note or uh, an email to Nick if you know what the photo dates were. I'm sure he does. I'm sure it's all right there. Yeah, in, uh, you see,
4: that's one of the color schemes not so good. They decided mm-hmm. to try and save weight, and they made the red uh, um, out of dots, Oh. Uh, on the and the fin you can see where the dots are at the bleeding mm-hmm. edge of the fin and it was a, a brighter shade. I like that really deep,
3: uh intense red of the, the later color schemes. Yeah, I do too. I think it looks better. All right. And the, oh this is a beautiful photo because um it oh, shows the probably, reflection of the yeah. jet in that here. Let me see if I can show more of the photo there. Okay. No, you, know, you yeah,
4: get the idea. Nice. Actually, uh, one of the runways, I'm just trying to think, uh, if you taxied down to the south and, and we took off uh, facing north, as you taxied down, the runway stuck out in the bay and literally off your wingtip, there would be guys on, surf, not surfboards, paddleboards and uh, mm-hmm. jet skis and all that kind of stuff. And it was great fun taxing down there, seeing all these people out in the water right beside the aircraft the taxiway was literally on the edge
3: of the water it was uh, fantastic nice all right so beautiful photos and uh, again we'll have the link in the show notes to Seth Jaworski's smug mug page it's sjap.smugmug.com and SJ aviation photography so thank you very much Seth for letting us share some of your beautiful artwork and Now it is time for the best part of the APG show, and that is the old pilot's plane tales. And this week's episode is the S to Z of Aviation.
4: The old pilot's plane tales, the S to Z of Aviation. The end of the alphabet is nigh, with a Z, not a Z, heaving into view. So let us continue with S. S is for synchropter. For those with an interest in the syncopated synchronicity of the scything surfaces that support the schizophrenic silliness of synchronised circulating (sighs) choppers... We need look no further than the Flettner double rotor. I guess we've all seen helicopters tragically beat themselves to death when the little spinny thing at the back gives up the ghost and Newton's third law of motion takes over. In response to the big spinning rotor on top, without the stabilising effect of the tail rotor, a helicopter's fuselage will succumb to reaction torque and start spinning in the opposite direction, usually with very sad consequences. Anton Flettner saw an alternative to this configuration, which involved a pair of rotor heads fixed side by side with the main shafts tilted outwards in an open V-shape. The two pairs of rotors mesh and overlap, but their gearboxes are synchronized to maintain a 90-degree phase offset which keeps the blades from touching. The yawing motion normally created by a tail rotor is generated by adjusting the pitch of both rotors in opposite directions to generate uncompensated torque. The advantages of a double rotor are that all the power goes to create lift and none has to be diverted to the tail rotor. Neither is there the complication of the shaft and gearbox required for that. Also, the increase in rotor area from a dual rotor system means the same load can be carried with less power. The increased rotor area has the disadvantage of reducing the cruise speed and there is obviously more complexity required in the gearbox construction, the other main concern is the decapitation of those approaching a Flatner design. Because of the angled rotor shafts, the blades come very close to the ground on either side of the helicopter, which requires great caution when approaching. T is for T. Some may think that it's Avgas or Jet A that drives an aircraft, but certainly in most countries it's tea. Now I fully understand the attraction of coffee, but finding good coffee on an aircraft is rarer than hen's teeth, or a decent airliner beginning with B. Most concoctions are made with instant granules and no matter how fancy, it just doesn't make the grade. Coffee machines on aircraft do exist. Indeed, my beloved a three forty six hundred had one that brewed espresso and even had the milk frother to go with it. To be fair on the poor crew who reluctantly agreed to make the captain a cappuccino, frothing the milk took forever and the mug had to be held up in place under the nozzle for an arm-making length of time. What's more, for it all to be hot, the mug had to be preheated to at least a 1,000 degrees centigrade. The best solution was I found my wonderful stylish Caflano Classic Coffee Maker. Taking up only a little room in my flight bag, it was a combined insulated mug, steel filter, ceramic bean grinder and hot water pourer all in one. And made the most wonderful drip coffee in a trice. All that was needed was a handful of coffee beans and a short break from the controls. Tea, on the other hand, is the perfect option for the pilot's beverage. Despite its fine flavour, messing up a cup of tea is surprisingly hard. Having said that, I know of a very large country west of me by a few thousand miles where it's nigh on impossible to find a decent cuppa. British cabin crew are well versed in the ways of creating this brew in an airliner, despite the water temperature being lower to boil at the reduced cabin altitude, and it invariably arrived in great shape. Hats off to the Japanese crew for their ability to make a fine green tea as well even if it didn't come with the full tea ceremony, but few were able to bring themselves to brew a strong tea from traditional black leaves. Their efforts usually tasted like dishwater, but learn your crew's strengths and never ask for a cup of Earl Grey from the Oriental crew or green tea from a Yorkshire lass. U is for up. There are many ups in aviation, It is, after all, a game of ups and downs, but we generally prefer the ups. Going up usually requires a clearance from those wonderful people who sit in dark corners apparently talking to themselves, and that's just in their spare time. The rest of their sad lives is spent talking to pilots, and a good proportion of their time is spent letting aircraft go up. This is expressed in different ways around the world, which is a little surprising. For example, in Europe, permission to go up is usually given as climb, flight level, blah-de-blah. Other countries insist on adding and maintain. For example, climb and maintain, flight level, blah-de-blah. As if we might only give our assigned flight level a glancing blow and then rocket off to some other height just to be difficult. Yet others insist on sending us to an altitude, something long forbidden elsewhere, since two is indistinguishable from two and presents a possible confusion. Pilots' discretion is something else that can't be relied on, since the cockpit is frequently a place of gossip and various goings-on, particularly about those not present at the time, and a juicy way to fill the long hours. In the context of up, however, being granted pilot's discretion for a climb clearance means that it can be done whenever the pilot wants. Being given a climb at pilot's discretion is often a source of great amusement, as some pilots, no names, no pack drill, will test the patience of a controller by using their discretion to stay exactly where they are until... Eventually, the quavering voice at the other end of the speaking tube demands that they climb immediately. Up often comes in other parts of conversations with our illustrious controllers, but usually just after we release the transmit switch, when up is usually said with feeling, followed by the word yours. Apart from taking the machine up, there are plenty of ups to deal with on the flight deck, even the one that accompanies shut. Anything that goes down will usually be preceded by an up. The flaps ring a bell, but usually only when oversped, and their final position when cleaning up is to up. The gear is another which brings me to the famous story of the captain who, during the take-off, looks over to his glum first officer and says, cheer up, whereupon he absent-mindedly raised the undercarriage handle. V is for v v v v v v v v v v v v I make no apology for revisiting one of my favourite subjects when discussing the letter V, particularly when I do it around 12 times. The V12 configuration of aero engines is one of the most wonderful subjects to talk about. In my early days as an RAF pilot, I drove a Triumph VTES convertible sports saloon equipped with the Triumph I6 engine a straight six-cylinder power plant. It only had a two-litre capacity, but with a pair of Stromberg carburetors, high-lift cams and a gas flowed exhaust, it went very much faster than was wise for a car with a swing-axle-transverse leaf-spring design at the back that made every corner a voyage of discovery. I used to imagine what it might be like having my straight six mated with another to become a V12. The engines that achieved this benefited from wonderful balance and such a smooth delivery of power they were commonly found in luxury cars and speedboats. The straight-six itself has a wonderful primary and secondary engine balance, but a V12 with an interval of 60 degrees at a V-angle of 60 degrees, the balance is as perfect as can be achieved by the hand of man. At any given time, three of the 12 cylinders are in the power stroke, which eliminates any gaps between power pulses and delivers the constant, smooth drive that they're famous for. As we know, Rolls Royce entered the war with their liquid-cooled Merlin and ended it with the 37-litre, 2,240 cubic inch Griffin, which has one and a half times the total capacity of my Triumph Straight Six in just one cylinder. The later Merlins would feature a two-stage supercharger with an intercooler driven by the engine, which gave the Spitfire Mark IX a 70 mile an hour advantage over the older Mark V. Far from being the only decent V12 at the time, Allison had their V1710, which had many design features that aided production and was a very flexible power plant, but lacked the high altitude performance of the Rolls-Royce equivalents. However, it did sterling work in the P38, the P40 and the P51A. Certainly, the later versions of the Mustang with the Allison single-stage speed blower could match the Spitfire Mark 9 at 10,000 feet and only lost out at high level. A suggestion by the RAF to replace the Allison with the 60 series Merlin to cure the P-38's problems were quashed by the United States Army Air Force after protests from Allison. The Allison went on to have an auxiliary supercharger fitted, and whilst it lacked the refinement and compactness of the Merlin, it was used in the Bell P-63 and the P-82 series. Other V-12s such as the Argus AS-411, the de Havilland Gypsy 12, the isotta Francini Gamma, the Ranger V-770, And the Walter Sagitta never matched the Allison or the Rolls-Royce products, but the Daimler-Benz DB600 series certainly did. Using advanced direct fuel injection, it had excellent fuel economy and an automatically clutched variable supercharger fixed to a barometric device that could automatically and smoothly deliver extra power as required. Fitted to the Messerschmitt Bf109 and Bf110, it gave them excellent performance, and it was only the materials shortages, such as the lack of ball bearings, nickel and cobalt for the valves, that gave it reliability and performance issues later in the war. W is for wing. There is a wing design called the W-Wing. It was a design proposed by one of my favourite aircraft companies, even though they worked for the other side, Blommenvoss. Ever since, as a kid, I built my Airfix model of the Blommenvoss lopsided BV-141, with the fuselage on one side of the wing and the cockpit on the other, I loved their off-the-wall ideas. Their jet-powered swept-wing bomber had wings that reversed the sweep direction halfway along the span, literally in the shape of a W, apparently to counter the problems of aeroelasticity, so that the outer portion of the wing would compensate for any bending that occurred to the inner part. From a personal point of view, I preferred their M version of the design, but at that time I think they were just throwing stuff at the wall to see what would stick. Looking through the history of aircraft design, there are so many wacky ways to set up your wings, it would be wrong of me not to mention just a few. Their names bring a smile to my face like the inverted sesquiplane on the Fiat CR-1, the parasol wing, the quadruple plane used in the Armstrong Whitworth FK-10, the cruciform wing found on many missiles, the annular box wing found on the Blériot 3, and the circular flat annular wing made by Lee Richards. Others were test wings to expand our knowledge, like the forward-swept and variable-geometry oblique wing aircraft that NASA trialed, and the telescopic wing that could vary its aspect ratio in flight and used on the FS-29 TF glider, and I've only touched on a few. X is for X-Plane. Yes, I've talked about the use of plane to describe the wonderful craft that we fly in, but across the pond they have their own rules, and actually the X-planes sound rather cool. The X-planes were the generation of research aircraft built as a joint programme between the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, NACA, later to become NASA, and the United States Army Air Force, later to become the United States Air Force. They were experimental aircraft that started with the Bell X-1 and moved forward through many remarkable designs that were to accomplish many firsts at their base, Muroc Air Force Base, another later to become Edwards Air Force Base. The X-1 was, as I'm sure you know, the first aircraft to break the sound barrier, but the X-planes went on to break many other speed and altitude barriers to prove concepts such as variable wing sweep to implement exotic alloys and propulsion innovations. Some were well publicised, but others progressed in secret, such as the X-16, a spy plane that never really got going after the purchase of a licence to build the Martin RB57 Canberra, the British-designed English electric aircraft. Most X-planes never got into production. They were there to test, evaluate and learn from. Y is for Y-service, Chicksand's Priory. In the past, I've talked a lot about my father, but very little about my mother. It's partly because, like many in the war, she didn't tell us lads much about her wartime service, in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force. But I have a few clues from her old Air Force napkin ring, an essential thing if you didn't want to have someone else's eggy stains on your linen. The hallmarks show it as a London piece, made in 1935 by Edward Barnard & Sons, a silversmith still in business today. Engraved on the ring is a record of her wartime service including her training by the GPO at the Wireless Telegraphy School in Nottingham, where she learned to receive and transmit Morse code. As one of the top students, from there she was posted to Y-service. Such was the secrecy that none of the WAF personnel were told what they were doing there as they maintained a silent watch on the enemies of our country. They often referred to the Y-Service as, Why are we doing this? In fact, the Y-Service was covertly listening to German high-command radio traffic, extracting call signs and frequencies, and passing on their messages to Bletchley Park, the famous decoding centre where the German Enigma code was broken. Amongst the tall aerials and in hidden bunkers, Chick communicated with the British network of agents behind enemy lines using coded seasonal greetings, trivial-sounding messages and even poetry to disguise what was going on. Zed is for the many Zeds, or Zs if you insist, that I pushed up from crew rest on the A340's cosy bunks and occasionally from the captain's chair. And with that, I'll leave you to contemplate your own aviation alphabet. I wonder what you might come up
10: with. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N,
3: O, P. Well if we come up with something it's not going to be half as interesting as what you did <laughs> i thought you were going to say half-assed there for a second no half as interesting <laughs> or it does it does sound a little bit i'm like i'm saying half-assed half-assed interesting <laughs>
4: uh, yeah but well, that's very kind of you jeff that uh, but uh, I, again i i cheated by dipping into my own memories rather than Dealing with a, uh, a more historic subject, but... Uh, no, it's very, very entertaining. all the same.
3: Very entertaining. Thank you. I especially liked all the alliteration of, uh, what was it, S, um, at the very beginning.
4: Oh, you don't ask me to do that again. Please do. do. <laughs> I want you
3: to do that again. <laughs> if I want to hear that, that then helicopter. I have to play it again, when,
4: If you... Have you seen... Uh, I've seen videos of it. Uh, you, those blades, I just do not know how they don't get completely entangled with each other. Uh, um, but I can also see how they'd also lop your head off, given half a chance. So, uh, I mean, people duck often when they <laughs> walk up to a helicopter. Uh, but you'd need to be on your hands and knees, I think, yeah. approaching a a, a flat. A, a helicopter. They're not the only manufacturers of this style, mind you. Mm-hmm. So watch out out there, folks. Duck They're dangerous. Yeah. Yes, duck you suckers.
3: <laughs> okay. Thankfully, he used the right consonants in that last phrase. (laughs) All right. Very good. Really enjoyed that. And uh, looks like we have a little bit more time to knock out some more feedback. What do you say, sir? Excellent. Let's do it. All right. Um, Let's continue on. This is one that was carried over. Several of these were carried over from previous episodes. And so let's go ahead and continue with uh, item nine from Dave. Dave. hi all. I hope you are all keeping well. I just saw this article this morning and was quite shocked to read how easily it can happen. And he gives gives us a link. I always hear announcements on the PA about not trying to recover your phone if it slips down the seat. I guess this is one of the reasons. Has this ever happened on any of your flights? Kind regards, Dave Lakeland. And we're showing now on screen. The picture of a very warm, or the aftermath of a very warm iPhone. Charred.
4: Yeah, doesn't look very happy, does it?
3: No. Um, cabin crew of a Boeing 787 9 saw smoke emanating from a passenger seat. Uh, 1 October 2020. It was discovered that a mobile phone or a mobile phone had fallen down the side of the seat and had been crushed in the seat mechanism. The cabin crew extinguished the fire and the aircraft continued to its destination. There was no damage to the aircraft. Um, It was approaching the top of descent when the cabin crew saw smoke emanating from a passenger seat. It was discovered that a mobile phone had fallen down the side of the seat and had been crushed in the seat. Well, we just talked about that. The cabin crew extinguished the fire and the aircraft. Am I reading the same paragraph? No, it's a different paragraph. It just says mostly the same thing. <laughs> wow. Yes. I love it when they do that. Um, there have yeah. been several reports of similar events occurring leading to smoke in the cabin. There are currently no seat design requirements to prevent electronic devices from becoming trapped in seats. Manufacturers and regulators are aware of this issue, but has it has proven challenging to find a workable solution. The EASA and the oh, SAE… Well, rubbish. Yeah, international seat committee have taken safety action to develop new design the standards. The
4: international seat committee.
3: Yeah, I want to be on that. <laughs> yeah, that, the, that would be boat. the that would be yeah. the SAE <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah, I think I could put, provide an awful lot of assistance to the international seat committee. <laughs> I only want a hundred thousand pounds a year to. Oh be yeah, on at that least committee. that's fine. Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, you know, you have a lot of experience sitting in airplane seats so i mean i do think you'd be very valuable
4: qualified for that
3: (laughs) anyway um so the question that dave asks um has this ever happened on any of your flights and thankfully no and especially thankfully for me because we don't have any fancy seats that would crush a phone and uh yeah so you know knock on wood uh, not happened to me. Uh, did you ever have anything like that, Nick, on your fancy airplane?
4: Oh, we've got we've got the perfect uh, phone crushing seats, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I we had plenty of lost phones down there. Mm-hmm. But very luckily, our passengers were aware enough uh, to realize what had happened and not move the seat. That's good. Um, yeah, uh, th- that is th- that is the trick. Once you realize your phone's missing. Don't try and move the seat. Just leave it still, and let the cabin crew dismantle it. Get your phone out for you, um, so that it doesn't crash. The phone doesn't cross the fire. Uh, in, on some occasions, uh, they even had to wait until the engineers came on and they physically, you know, dissembled the seats and uh, recovered the phone. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, the problem is that uh, they. It's not made clear. Uh, that there are other places to put your phone other than in your pocket or whatever. What you really need um, is a dedicated phone charging spot beside the seat where you can um, plug your phone in or put it on a recharging pad if you have one of those nice inductive uh, charging systems um, that encourages you to put your phone away from the seat and not in your pocket and nowhere stupid where it can fall into the seat mechanism. The Seat mechanism is usually pretty complicated and it's going to be hard to design a seat that is completely foolproof because it doesn't matter how hard you try, somebody's going to find a way to squeeze their phone into it. But if you give them a really nice natty charging area that's on the wall of your pod or wherever the seat is, that allows you to put your phone there completely away from the seat where it's not going to fall in. That's a perfect solution, but no one seems to have come Nick, up with it Nick, yet. Nick, Nick,
3: Nick, you're diluting your value as <laughs> a consultant for the SAE. Oh, giving away all the ideas. Oh damn. Yeah.
4: Oh well, didn't think of that.
3: Yeah. So much for that idea.
4: Has a suggestion. Yeah. Oh, Lane has a
3: suggestion. Cargo pants are a good option. Yeah, as long as you remember to. Close up the top of the the, whatever the the lid, no, the lap. Yeah, exactly right. actually,
4: have lying on your phone in you know, and sleeping on it is actually another good way to bend the phone and set your legs alight. That'll wake you up though, you don't need an alarm. (laughs) Um, Well, and of course, the other thing is you're not supposed to charge your phone while you're asleep. So, mm -hmm. if you've got your phone plugged in, then don't fall asleep. But actually, if you had a dedicated safe charging area that was away from the seat mechanism on the sidewall, then Bob's your uncle. I don't
3: see that being a safety problem I think at all. part of the problem is that a lot of times you don't realize that you've lost your phone and it's fallen down a crack yeah. in the seat. And then you operate the seat with, you know, without knowing that that's a hazard or risk.
4: That's exactly right. But, I mean, it's like having uh, somewhere clever beside your seat to put your glasses because you don't want to sleep with your glasses on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, there's somewhere to put your shoes if you take those off. You just need an equivalent to put your damn phone. Uh, everyone's
3: got one. I mean, it's not like, it's not rocket science, no. this sort of stuff, you know. You know, Mike Hypers has a good question. Does Miami Rick wear cargo pants? <laughs> Yeah, I would say that every pair of pants that he has are cargo pants. By definition. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Cargo pilot. Yeah. Cargo pants. (laughs) That's funny. Definitely. Good one, Mike. All right. Who are these fancy
4: people with seats that move? Uh, Uh, I don't know. Many of them are called pilots. We have seats that move. But mm-hmm. actually, funny enough, the pilot seat, you wouldn't, wouldn't lose your phone down. It would just fall onto the floor. Yeah,
3: making a big clunking sound. Lane has on an the answer
4: floor. for yeah. Mike
9: Kuypers.
3: Oh, yes. Lane has the answer for Mike Kuypers. Uh, he does not wear cargo pants. He wears cargo kilts. That is true. We've seen uh, yeah, it. We've so witnessed he
4: probably, it. probably keeps his phone in his
3: sparring. <laughs> and we have uh, photographic evidence of it, sadly.
4: Uh, yes. I need to give you that picture
3: again. So yes. So we can put it up there. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, quickly here, uh, we'll move on. We have, um, I think she said, half an hour remaining in our in our show. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this is from Tillman, our man in Berlin. The one that provides us wonderful, tasty, free, endless, bottomless beer. Oh, uh, yeah. Of which I, I have like not had a chance beer. to partake of yet, but... Hopefully soon.
9: Topless staff and bottomless beer.
3: Topless staff and bottomless beer. What a combination. All right. Uh, that was from Liz. I didn't say that. Okay. Uh, I was just repeating it. Um, let's see. Man seeks pals he once persuaded to ship him around the world in a crate. This is from the Washington Post. Tillman says, I stumbled upon this article about Brian Robson from Wales who in 1965 thought it would be a good idea to ship himself by air freight from Australia home to the UK. Maybe you will find the story interesting. I got a chuckle out of it. All the best from Berlin. Now, what do you expect from those guys from Wales, right? (laughs)
4: Well, exactly right. Always trying to get a cheap, free ride, you know, cheap ride.
3: (laughs) And I did read this, and it was uh, very, very amusing. And I'm not going to read the entire thing because it will take too long, but we'll have a link to this in the show notes. But... Uh, Just I'll I'll read a little bit of it as a teaser. Um, In May of 65, Brian Robson was miserably homesick after working nearly a year in Melbourne, Australia, but he couldn't afford a plane ticket home to Wales. Uh, Forlorn and desperate, he came up with a madcap idea. He could fold himself into a crate and ship himself via air freight to London for a fraction of the fare. Um, that's how 19-year-old Robson ended up h- inside a wooden crate with a suitcase, a flashlight, a Beatles songbook, a pint of water, and an empty bottle to hold his urine. Well, he was thinking ahead. He persuaded two friends in Melbourne to nail him in, and he figured he'd be home in 36 hours. <laughs> 36 lo- wonderful hours in a crate. Now, get this. I, uh, I'm i going to try to scroll down and, and see what the dimensions were of this crate. And uh, it, it was incredibly small. Let's see. Where is it? Um, Scrolling down, scrolling down. I know. Okay, here it is. He got into a crate, excuse me, measuring 36 by 30 by 38 inches. Again, 36, a yard of three feet by 30 by 38 inches that he had purchased for five pounds. He situated himself next to a suitcase and hung his flashlight on a nail inside. At 120 pounds and five foot seven, it was a tight fit, <laughs> Robson said. No kidding. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, he had a suitcase in there, too. I don't know how he fit in that thing. Anywho, very interesting capable. story. And um, just to give you another little teaser, uh, it took a lot more than 36 hours. And, in fact, he didn't even make it what? halfway there, or maybe a little over halfway. Uh, Yeah. So very, very cool story. It looks like um, they're considering, I think it said at the the end of the article, that um, somebody is interested in making a a movie of this. Um, Let's see. He decided to uh, three years ago to write a book after a film company approached him about doing a movie. So I don't know if that's still going or not but
4: yeah i i'm trying to i mean i've seen the movie of the bloke that gets caught in a canyon in america and mm-hmm. cuts his arm off Ooh. but uh, a movie about a bloke in a crate for uh, i'm just trying to think a short the, movie w yeah scenery like they wouldn't have many apparently not you know
3: yeah Liz adds that it would be cheap scenery, not not a lot of sets, just a lot of wood. That's
4: true. It <laughs> would be a very inexpensive production.
3: Yeah. Oh, and I'm, gosh, Why I missed you that. Why do
1: skip to 14 now, Jeff, and we'll get Jeff okay. out of the
3: way. And, uh, okay, 14, she is directing me, as she should, since she's, she is a director. 14, let's jump I to thought that thought she was one. a producer. And a producer. She produces direction, so hence okay. director-producer. <laughs> that that, that yeah. makes sense. Um, so let's go to 14 because we want to make sure to do this one on today's episode because everybody knows the good-looking Captain Jeff is Colonel Jeff. And uh, just to remind you, uh, he was um, he retired from airline service, and now I'm hearing a lawnmower very close to my back studio window which I don't know if you guys can hear yet or not. A little bit. A little bit. Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah. Perfect timing. Perfect Kick timing. Off theory, eh? Okay. You know That's what like I could do? I can uh, adjust my, my, my uh, noise gate. Can you still hear it? Oh, okay. Well, then, you know what? Probably the best thing to do. I'll continue just quickly uh, setting this up. Jeff uh, <laughs> retired from American Airlines last year. And I was, I had the opportunity and Steph did too to be on his last two flights. And he wasn't finished with flying though. Don't you love the sound of the lawnmower behind me? That's just, yeah, that's great. Yeah, awesome. Um, Anyway, uh, we had the pleasure of uh, being with him on his last two flights before he retired from the airlines. And as I said, he was not finished with flying. He uh, ended up getting a job with a Part 135, a corporate jet outfit and uh he uh finally made some he says finally feel free to edit this audio as you wish and i'm not going to edit a thing because it's perfect and uh so without further ado we're going to hear uh colonel jeff talk about his transition from airline flying part 121 to corporate jet flying part 135 and here we go take it away jeff
11: Hello, everyone at APG. It's Colonel Jeff with some long overdue feedback about my experiences going from the 121 world to the 135 world. My first comment will be all of you listeners who have given Jeff grief about his steam driven. Mad dog need to apologize. His airplane was very modern compared to mine. (laughs) I wish I had some of the avionics he has. My airplane is a Falcon Dassault or a Dassault Falcon 2000. It's a uh, probably a 80s design. Uh, not a lot of fancy avionics. We have an autopilot, of course. We have JipWiz and we have TCAS and we have a nice weather radar. Uh, what we don't have is we don't have certain things that I was very used to, like auto throttles. Uh, that was the thing I missed the most. But some of the other things that I've come to realize I don't have, I don't have predictive wind shear, I have reactive wind shear. And when I do get a wind shear alert, it's a canned scenario, it's just that gives me a pitch up display. That's all it gives me no actual real guidance. The same is true if I hit the go around buttons, it is a generic display just gives me some pitch up information, no actual real guidance. So in that regard, it's a step backward. In the next regard, it's a fun airplane to fly because it's built by Dassault, which builds fighters, and the airplane has a fighter wing on it. And it's surprisingly nimble. I was actually very shocked at how maneuverable and quick to respond the airplane is. So it is fun to fly. It's got the goofiest nose wheel steering I've ever dealt with in my life. Uh, You have no nose wheel steering, none at all, on the rudder pedals. So for crosswind takeoffs, you have to use the tiller. And on landing, you have to use the tiller with a crosswind. It is, and it's not designed very well. The first 60% of nose wheel turning is in like the first 30% of tiller travel. And then there's a break and uh, it's just, yeah, it makes for a very jerky taxi. Anyway, school was very interesting because it was like learning Latin when you spoke Greek It was a different alphabet, a different pronunciation for everything And while they're talking about things I knew, they were using terminology that didn't make any sense to me. And I was in a group of four, and the other three guys were all in their second or third ATPs, and they understood all this vernacular that was going on that I had no idea what these guys were talking about. So I was a little bit behind from the get-go. And some other things that have come along since I've been out of school have just been hysterical. Uh, at the schoolhouse, they discovered that this individual had never flown GA uh, because they wanted me to do a conventional pattern. I had never done one. <laughs> so they had to talk me through it because they didn't even bother to show me how to do it. They just go ahead and do this. We're going to end this in with a conventional pattern. I go, what's that? <laughs> so uh, I got, uh, well, when I came back, about two thirds of the way through school, I came down with COVID. I didn't know it at the time. And actually took my check ride with COVID. I was pretty sick. Just didn't, I just thought I had a cold. But I was feeling pretty crappy. And uh, came home, gave it to the whole family. So Thanksgiving was kind of a bust. Uh, but that also put a kibosh on me flying for almost six weeks. Because I had, couldn't go back to work until I had two negative tests, which took a while. Once I did start flying, I was flying my butt off. I just had my first seven-day break since, oh, uh, I don't know when, this past week. Uh, so now I understand why Prip my pilot Pip and his podcast can never figure out where that trip was. What was that layover that I was on? Yeah, I I have the same issues. It's kind of comical some of the passengers we fly. Most of them are very nice. Um I will say that rich people tend to be sloppy. They trash the the cabin sometimes. I've taken uh football players to Las Vegas. They showed up four and a half hours late. They didn't want to leave Vegas to families to Aruba to four couples down to St. Lucia who went through 11 bottles of champagne before we got there. I took a group of uh, middle-aged men to Jackson Hole, Wyoming for a bucket list trip where I thought I was going to have to get a gurney to get one of the guys off the airplane. He was so drunk. Um, I've had to divert twice and probably in the past four weeks, uh, both for weather and uh, I've done more. ILSs to minimums in the past six months than I think I did in my 20 year career at American Airlines. Uh, speaking of that, we only go down to cat ones. So we can't do cat twos or cat threes. The airplane can do it. We're just not certified for it. Some other things I'm uh, having to get used to. We have one airplane that cannot do LNAV VNAV approaches. It can do LNAV, but not VNAV. It's got a different FMC than the other three and that one is very difficult to use. And unfortunately, that's the one I've diverted in twice. And changing the destination in that thing is a nightmare. <sighs> so, but uh, I'm still enjoying it. It's a, it's still that nice feeling of turning left when I get on the airplane to the big picture window seat. Although sometimes I get to turn right because on most of our flights, we do not have a flight attendant. So I get to do those duties. I had to give the safety briefing. I have to load and unload bags. I have to monitor the catering. I have to monitor the fueling. I have to pay the bills. In fact, the hardest part about this job so far has been the paperwork. I have two envelopes that I carry around as the captain. One is the trip sheet expense reports, and the other one is my personal expense reports, and they all have to be documented and broken down and put in this envelope, and it's just a nightmare. The uh, chief pilot secretary is not happy with me because I don't think I've done one right yet. (laughs) That and uh, it's the other things I've had to learn how to do. Like I said, I've never flown general aviation. So I've never flown to an airfield that did not have a control tower. Because of COVID, our little airport did not have a manned tower. A lot of the times that we were arriving and departing. So that, that got to be interesting. And we're going to a field to pick up passengers that doesn't have uh, a, an active tower, just Unicom. Not being able to print out an ATIS through the a- uh, ACAR system, that's a pain in the neck. Having to call ahead to an FBO. Uh, all these things I've had to kind of pick up um, operational experience on the fly. So, But I'm still enjoying it. I'm having a good time. The bad news is I never know where I'm going. Uh, And when until like maybe a day or two prior, I kind of have an idea that I'm going to be flying on the 27th of this month, but I don't know if when, and I'm not really sure where uh, and how it's actually going to go, how many passengers I'm going to have, and even who I'm flying with. So a little haphazard in that regard. The company I fly for, which I'm going to call Big Mountain Airways, is a private charter company. They do a lot of part 91 for the owners who happen to own a national football league team. So in the fall, I know where I am going to be every weekend, wherever their team is playing, be a home or away. So, um, and, uh, but they also charter their airplanes out to pretty much, I I didn't realize how charter worked until I got involved. We fly for all these different brokers who broker flights for people. And I'm amazed how much people are willing to spend to fly someplace. And for the most frivolous things I've done, I talked about the bucket list. I talk about the, 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 the people I took down to the Caribbean. I took uh, a family to Columbus, Ohio, where I got to say hello to miss Jennifer who got a very nice video of me landing. That was just last week. Um, they just went for the weekend to go see grandma, mom, dad, and the kids and a dog who was very well behaved. I've taken uh, people to funerals in upstate New York. I take the owners back and forth to Florida all the time. Cause that's where their homes are. Uh, I took, uh, what was it? Eight people down to Spartanburg, South Carolina, which they don't know how to spell Uber or Lyft. So yeah, it was, and they don't know what a taxi is. So getting to the hotel was interesting, but they went to a, they see some country singer, um, just, you know, just things like that. So it's interesting, some of the shenanigans that these people are willing to pay a lot of money for. But uh, it's a different part of life than I'm going to see. You're at right there beck and call. So when you leave when they show up, not a moment sooner, and you arrive, hopefully, before they want to be there. So I uh, had a couple glitches where an airplane broke just as we got ready to start it. had a, uh, a FADEC issue uh, where the Fedex decided that the fuel was too cold. And unfortunately the fuel was right and the FedEx were both dead, but that's why we had to change airplanes, uh, had a pressurization issue. I lost the generator one of my first trips. So anyway, that's enough. I'll let you all just listen to this and hopefully I'll be able to get some more feedback in about some other things
3: and, um, take care and God bless. Thank you, Jeff. Good stuff. I mean, that, that was a very interesting, quite a bit of, uh, difference between what he was doing with American Airlines and what he's doing now.
4: (laughs) I mean, uh, talk about going from being mollycoddled and well looked after Mm
3: -hmm. to
4: being a bit of a one-man band. I mean, uh, it's such a difference. I mean, it must be uh, an interesting transition. Uh, And I say interesting in that (laughs) You know, you're going to learn a lot more, Jeff, but uh, in, you know, when coming up to retirement, I would personally would be taking, putting my feet up. But That's what I (laughs) intend to do. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very different uh, world, isn't
3: it? Yeah, it is. Um, And so, you know, I was mentioning before I played his audio that um, Steph and I were on his last two flights and and the last one ended in, in Charlotte. And then we uh, went over to Steph's place on the lake and um, had a had a great party. And a very small one, though, you know, socially distanced and only a, a few uh, participants. What would you say, Liz?
10: Exclusive. Exclusive.
3: Party. Yes, an exclusive party. And uh, while there, when we were transporting um, Jeff from the airport over to Steph's, he pu- um, put his uniform hat in the trunk of my car. And guess where that uniform hat is still?
4: (laughs) Anyway. Hey, I I collect hats. If he doesn't want it, send it my way. Well, I
3: think he does. He says, and and I reminded him that I still have his hat, his captain's hat from American Airlines. He says, now, as to my hat, if the Vikings play the Falcons this fall, I'll probably be there. If not, I'm just going to have to find some time to fly down to Atlanta to pick up my hat. So... Yeah, looking forward to that. I'm going to probably hide it or forget it, and then he'll have to make another trip or two down to try to grab it.
4: I mean, it sounds like he's an incredibly steep learning curve, Mm -hmm. not only from the style of the job, but of the aircraft, um, you know, the generation of the aircraft that he's flying. Very different to what uh, you and I
3: used to. For sure. It's an entirely different world. I mean, the flying, the, you know, working with passengers and uh, catering and all the other aspects of the job that departments do at the big airlines. And, uh, yeah. So, thanks again, Jeff. Uh, We do appreciate that. Look forward to hearing more of these uh, audio uh, updates from you in the future. Uh, We're getting close to the end of the show here. Just Um, over 10 minutes. Okay. Um, Quickly, uh, let's see, Texas and Lashock. Now we have the blower going on outside. The, uh, the lawnmower portion of the process uh, has finished, and now the gentleman is right outside my window with one of those professional backpack blowers. Awesome. Anyway, uh, Texas Anlashok says, I recently stumbled onto something that's fairly interesting, though I'd never actually heard of it before. I hadn't either, actually. The closing of Reagan National's Gate 35X. Are you familiar with it? No gone through it at one point or another? Don't think so. I've never been through the D.C. area, so I've never had to experience this apparent form of hell, and it seems no one will ever again. They are replacing the outdoor parking with individual gates like a proper terminal. The closest I've come to this is United's regional section at Denver International, which has stands extending away from the terminal for a ways, but they just make you walk to them. Overall, most of my airport experiences have been pleasant ones. (laughs) The one... I could complain the most about is LAX, but even there, it seems a lot better than I remember in a lot of ways. This is going to be great editing. Um, I'm just I, I can to finish stop. this off if you prefer. Oh, please do. Okay. And I'm going to fade <laughs> out. Carrying,
4: carrying on. I think my favorite airport is DFW. Uh, however, uh, It just seems so easy to get around, and it doesn't feel claustrophobic or crowded, at least not anymore. Uh, When they're doing construction in certain sections, it can feel that way. And I like the transit system, which is actually above the airport, so you can look around as you travel. If I have time, I'll sometimes make a whole circuit on it. <laughs> Isn't there a song by some uh, country singer about the guy that got stuck on the, on the metro, the guy that never returned? Uh, so you'll be that man. Um, just looking at the planes. Uh, actually, I can't think of anything better. Uh, if you're a plane spotter, you just get up and keep going around. Of course, 90% of what you see there is American. Well, look, America's a nice country. I don't know why you would be worried about seeing America. Uh, You know, you get used to it. uh, And be a bit more patriotic, if you don't mind me saying so. I don't think that's what Uh, he means. (laughs) (laughs) American (laughs) Airlines. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, so he doesn't like any other in fair enough. So no. it can get a little monotonous. I yeah, I I agree. America can be a little monotonous. Hey, hey. Uh, but still <laughs> but still it's nice. What a fine compliment to play. Now, uh, that's all for now. This is Techless and LaShock signing off.
3: I do the same thing, I say Techless because <laughs> I see Texas and LaShock and I have to <laughs> have to really concentrate on that. Uh, I think he does that on purpose, just to throw us off, Nick.
4: Can I try it again? Sure. Uh, Texas
3: Axler shock. Uh, That's pretty close. Pretty close. We'll go with that one. (laughs) Another beer. Yeah. Liz says, just drink another beer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
4: I, I already am. Don't worry. Okay, I think
3: I should too. But
4: so, so yeah. what is this Gate Thirty Five X? It know. sounds like something like um, Platform Thirteen and Three Quarters in Harry Potter.
3: I don't know. There's an article here that talks about it. It ends its 24 year run with a water cannon salute and a small delay. Um, I guess it must have been <laughs> just a like a place where you know they you go through a door and then you walk out to an airplane, hopefully the correct one. And you get on that airplane and go to where you're going, right?
4: But weren't all uh, airports like that in the yeah. old days? Yeah. I mean, you just walked – the the gate was like the exit of from the terminal, and you just walked down to the apron and ran into a propeller.
3: Yeah, yeah and it ended it all. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, obviously, Texas and Lashock uh, or whatever his real name is, um, must be a young person that doesn't remember those old days. But uh, there were a lot of places, you're right, Nick, that uh, – We'd fly even, you know, when I was a new airline pilot in in the nineties, um, that we go and like Fresno, Daytona beach, um, uh, let's see Albany, New York. That's the one I could never figure out Albany, New York. It's the state capital of the empire state, New York, uh, didn't have jetways when I first started flying. And, and this is, this include you know, it gets kind of the weather in the wintertime is not pleasant and, uh. They sometimes have blizzards and everything else. And I couldn't believe that this, you know, it's not a big city, but still, it's the capital of New York. And you'd think that they'd have something better than just some air stairs up to the airplane and the old ladies trying to get off with their luggage, you know, and and, in a blowing blizzard. I mean, it was miserable there. Finally, they have.
4: Yeah. I mean, I've flown into plenty of um, Caribbean destinations where there are, you know, you just park your airplane on a piece of. Concrete. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets off and wanders off into the terminal. Terminal. It's all very pleasant. Uh, But that's the Caribbean.
3: Yeah, that's a pleasant place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Lane is saying, you see, thirty-five X isn't a proper gate, but an inhumane cattle herding pen with an escalator that takes you to a bus terminal, then takes you to your remotely parked airplane. Ooh, (laughs) does not sound very pleasant. I guess no, that's why a lot of people doesn't. are writing newspaper or magazine articles or whatever for its final closure and demise.
4: Well, but if it was such a horrible gate, then why are people celebrate? I mean, I can understand why you celebrate closing, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't have a, a water cannon salute for no. it. I would just go, thank the Lord it's not there anymore.
3: Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Well, maybe somewhere in this article that we'll link to in the show notes. We'll have the answer. All right. Well, you know what? That's going to be it. We're really close to the end of the three hours, and uh, we're going to save all these great pieces of feedback that we have left in Woo-hoo. our folder for next show. And I can hear Liz celebrating in the background. She's saying, "Woohoo!" I think that was Liz, or was uh, yeah, that you? Nick? Yeah, that was
4: me. I think okay. Liz is just yeah. Save for a few heartbeats generating more <laughs> feedback.
3: Yeah. So, anyway, um, that's it for today's show. So, I think now we're going to talk, talk to you about the uh, wonderful website that Arash Mahin, Mahin um, manages and uh, keeps running night and day, no matter what the weather, airlinepilotguy.com. And there, oh, thank you. Uh, there you'll find. Information about our podcasts, uh, APG on YouTube, the crew, the community uh, with the community calendar, Plain Tales, a lot of uh, extra stuff in there about each and every Plain Tale that Nick uh, puts in after the fact. The APG Library with the uh, librarian, Tiffany, and uh, the Coffee right. Fund, information about that. APG Store, uh, there. Are, I'm sure some T-shirts and other items that um, might be of interest to you, merch. And a, a way to contact us, including a link to Speak Pipe, which is a, a way to leave some audio feedback. Or you can just send us some feedback to feedback at airlinepilotguide.com and then attach some audio feedback to that as well. In fact, um, a lot, uh, or if not most, of the people that sent us audio feedback on this episode did that. And you can too. And we would love to hear your wonderful voices. And, uh, so there you go. And we're also on social media and since Steph isn't here and she's not going to uh criticize my use of the word no, social media. She's meds, she's, okay.
4: she's topless in the buff. Okay? Good. Um and uh <laughs> Facebook uh you can find us on Facebook at uh Not yep. f- uh, thank you thank you very much indeed uh <laughs> Liz, um, airline pilot guy, or one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, just search for that and you'll find us. And uh, on Twitter, you can find us at APG Crew. Mm-hmm. And a uh, very similar handle works on. Uh, what's the other one? Oh, Instagram. Instagram. APG Crew as Mm -hmm. well. And and that's where I will generally post the artwork. That's about all I post on there. But uh, Steph does uh, pictures from uh, flying um, parachute jumpers and all the exciting things she gets up to on there
3: as well. Right. And we are on Slack. And uh, the gentleman who, and I'm using that, Term very loosely, and oh, I think that it's, oh, it's his birthday. It's, it's his birthday, birthday today. Happy birthday
4: to you! Happy birthday, Happy birthday, to, birthday. You to you! Happy birthday, Hillel! Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. you!
3: I don't know how that sounded, but I hope awful, that you. I suspect. <laughs> yes, awful, of course. And uh, you know what? Hillel is such a great guy. Even when it's his birthday, he takes time out to. Come over here to the APG Headquarters Studio restroom, and uh, here he is right now. I'm going to... Yeah,
4: I hope you left him a cake in the shower.
3: Yeah, well, I hope not. Um, let's <laughs> see, where is this? Okay, here we go. I'm going to turn on the uh, hidden microphone. Don't ask me why I have a hidden microphone in my bed. Hello? Hello? the slack. camera I'm worried about. Slack!
5: Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Okay! Is he in
3: his birthday suit? He is in his birthday suit. (laughs) Good one, uh, Liz. Yeah, so uh, come over. Please, please wrap a towel around yourself. Yeah, I don't want to see that. All right. (laughs) Sit down right here and tell us about Slack.
11: APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel. And I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel
1: spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1. And see you in Slack.
3: Thank you very much, Hillel. Now you can head back to the bathroom uh, over there. And, uh, okay, we do appreciate that. Eat hat. your birthday cake. Yes, eat your birthday cake. What the heck is on this handheld, Jeff? Don't ask too many questions, Hillel. Please. It's, 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 it's chocolate
4: frosting. It's chocolate frosting
3: or icing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, anyway, so uh, there you go. Thank you, Hillel, for uh, telling us about Slack. And uh, finally, uh, not, last but not least, we need to big round of applause Great, and shout Good out job. to our producer director for thank doing just a bang up job as she always does uh, helping us to produce and direct the show so thank you liz you are indispensable and with that wishing you all clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and god bless
4: everybody.
10: till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I'm fly a flyer, a mentor Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy oh I got no friends cause I'm always flying. I just don't have the time. But I can land this old plane. I can land it just fine.
9: Airline, not a guy. I
10: fly a